Welcome back once again to the Back Lounge Podcast. My name is Tank. I'm a retired roadie with over 15 years of experience in the touring music industry. And in this podcast, I just get to sit and have conversations with artists, band members, and anybody else in the music industry. And we honestly just talk about whatever comes up. And in today's episode, I have another very special guest, Vicky Sorakis of The Agonist and Sixth Sense. Now, I've actually had Vicky on my YouTube channel before for an interview, an episode of Interview with a Roadie, which is a shorter video format for my channel, and it's usually very direct. We talk about actual, you know, music in terms of releases and stuff like that. So it's going to be really cool to have her on this podcast because I love to have these longer conversations to get to know these artists as people. And Vicky has a really cool background and a really cool story. And I have no doubt that we're going to get some really interesting stuff to talk about today. But before we start, let's just take a second to thank today's sponsor of this episode, my personal favorite jewelry company, Gothic Jewelry. So for anybody that's not familiar with Gothic Jewelry, Gothic is an online retailer of high-end jewelry that was founded in 2019 by a group of rocker and biker friends that had a passion for both fashion and jewelry because it allowed them to express themselves and convey their own individual personalities. The only thing that they didn't like was the price of a lot of the jewelry that they were into. These guys used to save up for weeks just to buy a single ring that then required regular maintenance. And one day it just occurred to them, why not start our own company and run it in a way that we want to? So that's exactly what they did. Gothic specializes in stainless steel jewelry while also aiming to make it affordable for anyone on any budget. And they offer a wide variety of styles to fit any personality. I personally love their line of Nordic and Viking inspired jewelry, which you can often see me wearing in my videos, including right now as I'm talking, if you're watching this on YouTube, because I feel it expresses who I am best. But you can find tons of different themes like skulls, animals, marine, gothic, occultism, religious pieces, and a bunch of other stuff in between. So if you want to find something new that's well within your budget, check out www.gothic.com. That's www.gthic.com for everything from rings, pennants, bracelets, chains, earrings, and a lot more. And as an added bonus, you can use the code TANK20, that's T-A-N-K-2-0, at checkout, and you're going to get 20% off your entire order, anything that you order. So once again, thank you to Gothic Jewelry. And don't forget to head over to gothic.com to see if they have something that lets you express yourself how you want to. But let's just get this one started, man. I'm super excited to have Vicky back here. We're probably going to have some cool conversations. And I honestly don't know how long this one's going to go because as far as I know, neither of us really have anything scheduling going on. So we might go a little longer than the normal two hours if we're having some good talks, but either way, friends that are listening, friends that are watching on YouTube, welcome back, Vicky Sarakis. So Vicky, welcome back. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, is, this is super, super exciting to have you back on here, honestly, because I yeah. looked earlier. I think it's been about six months since I did that interview with you on the channel. Which was so short. Dude, and it was short yeah. and it... I couldn't believe it was six months. Like, it felt like it was like a couple months ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same. 
Yeah. And, you know, a lot's a lot has happened since then, both, you know, for both of us. But for you guys, you know, the new EP finally came out, which made my top albums and EPs of 2021 list. No big deal. Um, (laughs) It got nominated for a Juno Award in Canada. Like, dude, you guys got some wild stuff going on right now. Yeah. um, The reception for it being an EP, I think, was really good. Still is really good. Um, There's a little bit of that you know, EP discrimination, so to speak, where some people are like, well, it's just an EP, you know, but um, it is five songs, you know, and uh, I think the quality of the music speaks for itself. I agree. And yeah, as long as you listen to it with an open mind, don't even look at the music videos, which I love, by the way, but no visuals in mind, just listen to it, close your eyes and listen to it it's a good piece of work. (laughs) Yeah. That's, it's funny because that's what I do anytime I get a new album or EP and you know, five songs is actually pretty good for an EP because usually you get like, you know, three on average, maybe four. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's funny you say that because, uh, Adam from Lorna Shore kind of said the same thing because they released a three song EP Mm -hmm. and he goes, all I want from people when we release our, or whether it's a studio album LP or an EP, I just want people to like, when they get it in their hands, sit with no distractions and just listen to it once and judge us on that. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've, that's what I do. Every time I get a new album now, I literally sit here, I get rid of the distractions and I listen. And uh, yeah, your new EP was just fantastic, man. I mean, again, you know, nominated for Juno, that's not easy, um, which yeah. those, the awards happen in May, right? Yeah, I honestly, I wasn't... <laughs> expecting it because it is an ep and there's no ep category you know Mm -hmm. it's up against some albums major albums so honestly it just feels good and great to be nominated i really don't expect to win and i wouldn't want to win you know i wouldn't want to put out five songs it is five songs five great songs and win against an album that has like 10 songs you know do you remember off the top of your head right now who else? Is Archspire in that category too? Archspire is um, Brand of Sacrifice. Oh, man. <laughs> and uh, and Spirit Box. Holy well. fuck. Yeah. What a... I mean, every yeah. one of those albums that came out last year is... I, I think... I think yeah. <laughs> all three of those made my top albums list as well. <laughs> yeah, not surprised. They're, they're great yeah. albums. And so it just feels like it's an honor to be nominated with... Yeah other albums because it's five songs and you could have the five strongest songs in the world but it's like there are other artists that created 10 songs eight songs nine songs it's, it's a little yeah. unfair you know what i mean well i don't so. think the number of songs as well should really play into it it's just what's the quality of material that was released do you know what i mean for sure so because somebody could put out a 10 song album and that 10 songs could just be maybe two really good songs and eight yes. okay ones you know but man sure. just metal in canada is alive and well it's awesome to see yeah i um, think uh i think you know canada's always been great in that i think it's just the world is taking notice right now yeah and yeah. it's it's interesting because with um in the in the weirdest way possible like over this pandemic in the last couple of years i feel like people were discovering music more than they had been in years previous i think so too um because music is one of the things that it it's kind of there for us for all moments you know it's there for us when we want to have fun it's there for us when we're sad and we want to cry it's there for us when we're angry and all that so when you're locked 
home and you can't go out and you can't have your regular day to day, you're feeling all these emotions. And what do you turn to? You turn to music. So it makes total sense. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, it's the thing I love most about music. And I've had this conversation with almost every person that's been on my channel, whether it be the podcast or the interview, it's, there are, there are specific things that meet every emotion, every feeling that you're having. That's why I always find the question of, you know, when anybody asks you like, what's your favorite album of all time? I was like, I can't answer that because there is an album for every mood that I've ever had. Yeah, same. So. I get so irritated when I have to make a top list, like top five, <laughs> top 10. I'm like, why? Just the other day, I got an interview. I haven't done it yet. It's for my other band, Sixth Sense. And it's just basically, I have to choose one song, not even an album, one song that inspired what I do in that band. <laughs> one song yeah like, what <laughs> yeah i mean I'm, I'm trying to put myself back into when i was in a band as well and i don't know if i could answer that like they, they're telling you to pick one of your songs correct no 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 one oh. song that inspired me oh from... like any other song yes oh i mean that's <laughs> come on that's way <laughs> too hard yeah do you do i'll you figure even, it out do you, i was gonna say do you even <laughs> feel like you have an answer yet i don't but i think It'll come to me. Yeah. I'm just happy the deadline's not tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like when I had uh, Karan from Bloodywood on here, he asked me, he's like, if you were on a desert island, what's the one album you could bring? Mm. And in the moment on the spot, like my gut initial reaction was kind of funny because I was like, uh, Colony by In Flames or Hate Crew Death Roll by Children of Bodom. And that was interesting because yeah. that's like gut reaction without thinking about it. Yes. I was like, oh, maybe that's the honest answer. It, it yeah. is often, it's not necessarily our favorite album of all time. It's just that sentimental attachment that we have because of the, the period, where, like the, what we were going through when we listened to it. And for a lot of people, it's the younger years, right? It's when mm -hmm. you first discovered metal or that first band or something that, that was like, whoa, what is this? You know, so. I think there's, <laughs> I think there's an age range. If I had to put it into 10 years, I'd say like 13 to 23. Mm. When you're discovering music in that age range, that's like what is forming your overall taste and like personality with the music that you listen to. Because I'll say right now, before I started my YouTube channel, I still just gravitated to the bands I was listening to in those years. Like those were my go-tos yeah. and it wasn't necessarily their new stuff. It was that old stuff that I had an emotional connection to when I was a teenager. And when we're teenagers, we have crazy emotions and stuff like yes. that. So, um, you brought up Sixth Sense. I want to talk about that because sure. I, I feel like a lot of people that know you and know the agonist are very, you know, well, they know you from the agonist. Mm-hmm. But Sixth Sense is a really cool project, man. And I want more people to know about this. Oh, thank you. So before we jumped on here to do this uh, podcast, I did a reaction to your new video that I will edit and throw on YouTube and stuff. No way! I, it is, first of all, it seems really fun. It seems like you guys are just having a blast. But I love the style, man. Like... There's, there are some moments to me where it does have that new metal flavor to it, but I can hear other bands, especially with some of the rapping parts and stuff like that. Like I, w I was going to ask, 
who who in the band likes stuck mojo because i hear that <laughs> what? i'm laughing because ravi my husband yeah. the rapper in six sense he's the the new front man for stuck mojo what <laughs> since when uh well he did the last album with them uh here come the infidels <laughs> jesus christ this is this is insane because i have this I brought this up recently whenever I, I come across something on YouTube that I, I didn't know the answer to or something like this. Uh, like I'll get a comment in a video and it's like, somebody's like, how did you not know this? And I'm like, dude, since I've started my YouTube channel, I've listened to like 200 different bands on this channel. I can't remember everything about everybody, mm -hmm. dude. I feel, I actually feel like an asshole now because I didn't no. know that. This is awesome. <laughs> Cause it's like, you're, you're like, you're willing to admit that you didn't know it too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like I, I do this all the time because sometimes they ask you in interviews about specific artists and I feel like a lot of people are too shy to just be like, I don't know who that is. I'm sorry. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. like we're always learning and sometimes we just we don't know and that's fine. So don't yeah. feel bad. <laughs> I, I love the learning moments with music. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. it's, especially with the way I do reactions and stuff like if I don't know the answer to something, I I find it so cool when like uh the artist will actually leave a comment on the video or message me on instagram and be like hey this is the exact guitar i was using that you just couldn't figure out and i'm like i, yeah. I feel no shame in that i'm like awesome now i have the answer you know yeah and it's like i think it's really cool that you do that in in the yeah. live reaction you try and analyze stuff that people don't get or maybe you need like 10 listens or views to get and this is just yeah. your first impression so based off that just the fact that you brought up stuck mojo without knowing that just shows, <laughs> it shows that you kind of know your stuff you yeah know? <laughs> i mean well i used to i used to listen to stuck mojo back in the day and uh, obviously back in the day because i didn't know the new stuff that's going on i mean yeah. that's that's mind-blowing to me and then i i thought i saw somebody say recently i don't know i didn't pick this up because mm -hmm. un until i was i got to know you i wasn't really familiar with robbie robbie's in one of the music videos um oh yes right in one of he's the in, ag uh, one of the agonist music videos yeah he's in uh, remnants in time okay so yeah. somebody told me that recently they're like yeah the guy that was in that video that was robbie and i was like oh i didn't even know that at the time yeah that's okay. super cool <laughs> that's super cool yeah. so going on to sixth sense um mm -hmm. i actually wanted to talk about this with you a lot because i'm very intrigued by the project itself how did this did th well i'm not even going to give my thoughts on it the opinion but i'm just going to ask you how did this project come together um yeah so basically it started with bran the guitar player and cody the drummer they were in a different band before called keychain and uh basically they parted ways with their singer and they were looking for a new vocalist they're also from montreal okay. um so they um a friend of robbie's kind of told him him about this so he auditioned he wrote two songs uh with them and uh robbie doesn't sing so so bran you know responded to him and he told him that he loves his lyrics he loves his rapping his screams everything but he he kind of wants this to become bigger than just that mm -hmm. he wants singing he wants catchy choruses melodies and like let's be honest you don't become an arena sized band or whatever like a huge band if you don't have those big choruses mm -hmm. um so you know uh <laughs> robbie's like yeah okay cool let's let's give this a shot and i helped him out with some demos adding like some melodic vocals on there and then they were just sitting down and they're like well 
why don't we just ask Vicky to be a part of this? And, um, you know, we spoke about it. I was like, hmm, this is kind of crazy. Should I, should I do this? Should I not do this? And then I think what made it just obvious for me that I should do it is how different it is from The Agonist. I wouldn't want to be in a band that sounds like two bands that sound the same, you know, in that same genre. And this is so different from every aspect that it's nice for me, you know, like I'm going to be on the road with one band doing one thing. And then when I come back, I can focus on the other band. And that's like a breath of fresh air. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how it started. <laughs> that's that's super cool too because going back to what we were talking about like the feelings with music that we listen to i mean i'll tell you right now there's absolutely been times since i've discovered sixth sense where even though you're in that band and the agonist i'd rather listen to you know sixth sense rather than the yeah. agonist in the yeah. vibe that i'm in in my head at that time so it's very cool at this current mm -hmm. point in time with that project um what's is it pretty diy are you guys signed do you have management are you planning to tour uh, so we are DIY on most levels. Uh, the only thing that we have invested in so far is PR okay. for this upcoming EP, which is great because they've gotten us some really cool opportunities that I can't mention just yet. Yeah, that's But cool. it's just, yeah, it's uh, we're not looking for a record deal just yet. We kind of want to see what we can do on our own. Um, but we're very much open to, you know, possibly touring once the EP is out. But that's just five songs. So we have this EP coming out now, and then we'll have another one coming out like later in the year or early 2023. Then we'll have 10 songs. Then we cannot actually talk about tours. We have yeah. a set list, you know. With, um, with your five songs now, I would imagine that's like a 20 minute opener on a tour slot. Like yeah. that's all you could actually do. Yeah. yeah. Which we would do if it was a great oh, tour sure. opportunity. Um, I'm just trying to be realistic. Not a lot of bands get something like that on their yeah. very first release. So it's more about building, I guess, a presence on the internet and just showing the world that like, this is what we can do. And this is, these are our very first songs, you know, yeah. um, fun fact, we wrote most of these songs in 2018. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, so... did it just get, get slow because of like the whole COVID thing that happened or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Basically, we recorded this, um, the vocals to this album. Album. I call it an album because it was supposed to be an album. Then yeah. we split it into two EPs. Um, but we did that right after the last tour I did with The Agonist in Europe with Ginger. We came back from that tour and I entered the studio to record the Six Sense stuff. And then our mindset was like, okay, we're going to take 2020 to film music videos. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so then we came back home to Chicago. We didn't have music videos. We're like, we're not going to launch a brand new band with no music videos, no plan, no nothing. So mm. it just took a backseat. The music video things, there's a couple interesting things you brought up that I want to talk about. First, mm -hmm. I'll state, like you guys said, you're not really looking for a record deal right now. I think that's important for a lot of young bands to realize is, you know, that was the mistake my band made is our when we were in a band and we were touring, we were dead set on we have to land a record deal. Now, mm -hmm. this was 2007. Times were a little different. You know, we didn't yes. have the media outlet that we have now. But it's very interesting you say that because um, Bloodywood is in that same situation right now. They just released, in in my opinion, one of the best debut albums I've ever heard. And they have 
a stack of record label offers, a stack of management offers. And I talk to Karan pretty regularly and he's like, I don't know if we want to do any of these because we've already got to where we're at right now Yeah. by ourselves. He goes, do you yeah. honestly think we need this? And I was like, I really don't. I yeah. don't know if you need to sign a record deal right now or anything like that. That's so cool. Um, I love that band, by the way. Yeah. I first discovered so them like two years ago when one of my patrons actually brought them up and I was like, this is so cool. Um, so to hear that they have that mindset, which is quite similar to, to ours, is just really cool. Yeah. And uh, continuing the Bloodywood as an example, uh, the music video thing you just brought up, like he told me also on the podcast episode, he goes, there's something about music videos that nowadays people just love. And he's like, for example, when we, he's like, when we released uh, Machi Basad, one of our biggest songs to date, we originally released it audio only. Like we put it on a website. We said, here's where you can stream it and listen to it. And he said, it did okay. Then yeah. we released the music video and the music video literally like blew up into the millions of views when people still had not touched their audio version that they had uploaded people want to see visuals nowadays mm -hmm. like they they want the visual entertainment as well as listening to the yeah. song you know yeah and and that makes total sense uh it's just very interesting when it comes to music videos you don't quite know what the recipe for success is mm -hmm. like i've seen huge budget music videos that you think are going to go into like the 50 million 100 million views and they don't mm -hmm. and then sometimes it's just a simple playthrough you know performance of the band rocking out and that goes way yeah. up yep. so i think there's no unless you're dabbling with like paid promotions and ads and stuff like that that's a different story but there's no you never quite know what you're going to release that's going to appeal to people that that's going to make them be like yo if you check this out you know yeah do you be honest here don't mm -hmm. don't don't keep in mind that I'm doing reactions or anything like that. Yeah. Do you, do you think that the explosion of YouTube reactions right now has, has put, is that thought in bands heads? Are they thinking when they're making a video, we need people to like react to this now? I think so. I, yeah. a lot of people that I've met uh, are in that headspace. So that can't be a coincidence. Yeah. Um, I just know that it's a tough world to kind of get into unless you have connections. Um, like I know a lot of reactors have their methods, right? They either have yeah. polls for their audience to choose what song to react to, or they have like paid gigs. It's, it's a whole, like you guys have become basically the news in a sense. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. interesting. It's interesting. Uh, you know, when I started this channel, I think people mistakenly think because I worked in the music industry for a long time, I had all these connections before I started this and I didn't at all. Like, you know, the five years that I, before I started doing YouTube, I was working in country, like, <laughs> you know, and, and country, country has so many songwriters on all that stuff that every one of their music videos has like eight freaking publishers on it. So you're not doing reactions to that. Um, when I started this channel, I think I did it the same way that everybody else was doing. And rather than having an actual formula, I was, just, I was going after the big dogs. It was like, mm -hmm. all right, what other reactions are getting views? And yeah. that's what I was doing. It wasn't until I started reaching out to record labels and introducing myself and like yeah. basically asking for permission. I was like, I want to know that you guys are cool with me doing this for one. Mm -hmm. 
And the second I switched my format to new music only, like I started having way more fun because with a lot of reactors, you'd see the same videos and the same, yeah. like how many times can we see somebody react to enter Sandman for the first time or, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody for the first time. And it's just like nothing against those people that do it. I mean, I'm sure there are people out there. I know Elizabeth from the charismatic voice had a very interesting and sheltered music upbringing. So there are some of these big bands she's literally never listened to. Mm -hmm. But for me, being a metalhead, there's no way, even if I wanted to lie, I could convince people like, hey, this is my first time hearing Sad But True. <laughs> like, you know? No, no one would buy that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, sticking to the new music, not only does it give me new stuff to check out, but it eliminates any question at all. It's like this music video has been out for a week. It's mm -hmm. obviously going to be, you know, a lot of our first times hearing it. Yeah. For sure. I think as long as you, you do have that formula, first of all, I think it's exciting for you as well because you get to discover new music. Um, whereas, like you mentioned before, you were kind of trapped into mm -hmm. listening, you know, to your old, familiar, yeah. beloved music, which I am also guilty of. Um, so it's like, it's great for you in that sense. You get to have fun with it. And you get to be you as well. Like when I'm yeah. watching your reactions or just now talking to you, like I can tell you're being you, you're not putting on this show uh, or <laughs> stepping into, I don't know, some other character presence. Uh, yeah, it, it, yeah it, it seems like a lot of videos that I see online are definitely character. What's funny yeah. though, is that there is kind of an on off switch. Like I'll admit that for sure. It's probably almost the same for you performing it's there's a there's something in the back of my head where i know like i'm recording this people are going to see it i uh, you know even though i want to be natural i still need yeah. to be entertaining yes and a, a good like example of that was recently uh, my stepmother was retiring from her job after years and years and years of working and their company reached out to me and i know a lot of people at her company and they were like hey we want to do this thing for her last day of work where family members, friends, all that record like a 30 second video, just congratulating her on her retirement and stuff like that. So I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And I came back right here where I am right now, because I knew most people were just going to do like cell phone videos, but I was like, yeah, I've got the setup, you know, whatever, why not? <laughs> and I started recording and my wife just opens the door and she's like, you're on right now. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, you sound like you're recording a reaction. You don't sound like you're talking to your stepmom. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, so there is almost yeah. a sense of like, it's be, it's become natural at this point. Yes. And yeah, most people I, that watch my stuff already know that I'm a super talkative person. Anyways, that's probably the biggest complaint I get, but it's there, there is a little more, um, uh, comfort in the, like, charisma levels and stuff after uh, mm -hmm. doing these videos for so long. Yeah, you get used to it for sure. Um, I, I'd like to see it as like, you're still being you, just a different version of mm -hmm. you. Because I, I struggled with this a little bit when I first started playing like gigs to bigger audiences. Um, I would look at like my role models or bands that I aspired to be like and kind of see how they interact with the crowd and had this very misconstrued um, opinion that I need to be like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's this very, um, this has shifted a lot recently, 
but uh, there was this idea that metal bands need to be serious and tough all the time. Yeah. And the thing is, if you're not that person, then it's not believable. You know, if I come out on stage and I'm like, oh, we don't swear here, right? <laughs> Fuck yeah, we do. Oh, we can. Okay, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> We're going to cut yeah, it out. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I swear, I swear okay. way too much. Go for it. Okay, so yeah, like I knew that if I came out and I was like, what's up, Cleveland motherfuckers, tear this place apart, let's yeah. fucking go. I know people would look at me and laugh, be like, what's this little girl trying to like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? So that that sort of way of thinking kind of messes you up in a sense, because you're playing shows, you should be enjoying it, you should be having fun and performing, but then you're think you're, I'm, I'm very much introverted, so like I, I was caught in this like, discomfort you know and once i went past that and beyond that and just said screw it i'm just gonna do whatever feels natural to me then it became a lot easier and to this day you know like i, I mentioned being like introverted and stuff like that on my streams and people are like no i don't buy it i don't believe it you know but it's very true <laughs> yeah i um i can relate to that because i don't think people would guess that about me either but like my wife always jokes that I am like a very extroverted introvert. She's like, yes. you, you, you're really good in social situations and talking to people and stuff if you have to be there. Cause like when we're mm -hmm. home, like I don't like going anywhere. <laughs> like I don't yes. like, I, I'm, I'm very in my comfort zone is, yeah. is the way to, is the good way to put it. And, you know, I actually like that metal is starting to gravitate towards this um, not serious uh place right now because we're getting mm -hmm. so many more bands that are just like whether they're goofy or just fun or whatever like you know i um i went and saw lorna shore soundcheck in nashville over the summer and it's mm -hmm. like you listen to their music and you're just like it's one of right. you know the heavier yeah. things out <laughs> and then you talk to those guys and they're just goofballs <laughs> like it's awesome yeah, and a lot of metal musicians are. So yeah. I always found it very strange that there's this persona on stage. You know, I guess it makes sense for, for character-based bands, mm -hmm. you know, that come out with masks or whatever, you know, like, or corpse paint for black metal bands. Not sure I would want those guys cracking up jokes on stage. <laughs> um, <laughs> if your music is very theatrical and has that in the visuals, yeah. it kind of makes sense. But then again, you know, I have seen bands step outside of that. Like one really good example is Flesh God Apocalypse. Yeah. We toured with them before their singer left and they had the switch where their drummer became their singer. Um, and then I saw them afterwards and he's much more of a goofball, like like lighthearted person. He was actually making jokes on stage. So you were like this band dressed up with like classical garments and this and that so serious in the music and he's he's making jokes yeah this is cool <laughs> yeah and it's 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 funny too because you also have bands like archspire for example like if you mm -hmm. ever watch like dean streams or any of those other guys those guys are the goofiest bunch of guys they're so funny to watch and but it goes to that stereotype like if you listen to that music you'd think you know the non-metal listener would be like oh these guys are just a bunch of pissed off tough guys <laughs> You know? Yeah. And I think, you know, speaking to how the metal scene was when I was younger, so this was, you know, early 2000s when I was in high school and stuff, all the metal bands in my local area, kind of near where you are now, like I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, 
there was this very tough guy, almost to toxic masculinity aspect of being in a metal band. It was like, you know, one of the things that I very much enjoy um, about doing the reactions is it, it also allows me to show my emotion when I connect with music. There's been many times where I've listened to stuff where um, I've, something's made me tear up. I mean, a Lorna Shore song of all songs literally made me tear up because there was something about the composition of the melody and just how it was delivered that for me personally, it gave me a very big emotional response. And I got comments from some tough guys who were like, look at this guy, he's listening to metal and he's fucking crying. And I was like, <laughs> you know, why is that a bad thing? Right? Like, just go with it, man. So there was, there was a time in my life where metal was a very tough guy thing. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm glad we're kind of getting away from that. And you see it with a lot of bands right now too, like, um, you know, Electric Cowboy, great example of that. I mean, look at the last four videos they've put out. It's the goofiest shit you've ever seen. Yes. And, you know, I love it. And, yeah. <laughs> so um, speaking of that, I think I, I think I may have mentioned this to you in your stream, but um, they, they have officially asked me to come on the road and we are going to be at the Forge in Juliet. So if mm -hmm. you're in the area, I would love to have you and Robbie out. That'd be fun. That will be so fun. We both love that band too. Yeah. And I'm so happy because I know how much you love them. Yeah. <laughs> From yeah like yeah. the reactions and everything. Like Well, it's it's such an interesting thing that I went from doing reactions to these bands that I had no contact or connection with whatsoever. And over the course of you know, their label getting in touch with us and asking us to do things and then talking to them. Like, it, this kind of started as a funny thing. Like, I was like, I, you know, we had our daughter a year ago. She's one now. Yeah, we have a one-year-old yeah. since the last time I've talked to you. <laughs> um, they asked me if I would be interested in, in going back out on tour. And at the time, I was like, no. Like, I'm, I'm happy at home. I toured for 15 years. I'm good. And now I'm legitimately excited. Like... I, I'm so fired up to go back on the road. And I think that's because I don't need to go do it to like survive anymore. Yes. I can pick and choose. Like I'm able, I was able to really just say mm -hmm. yes, because I wanted to do it for the experience and the good time rather than having to make money. Yeah. So. I can relate to that. I yeah. think a lot of people, I think the pandemic was a good eye opener for a lot of people where it's like, do I really want to keep doing this or not? So a lot of people either realize that they don't miss it anymore and they'd rather be at home. And a lot of other people are like, yeah, I'm tired of being at home. I want to go back on the road. And I think once you remove the financial component from it, um, which is tough to do, of course, for a lot of people, but once you remove it, you can see if you actually do enjoy doing this or if you'd rather stay home. Yeah. And it's, you know, the financial thing too, is I've always been honest with this, like, Claire and I are not exceeding luxury by any means with revenue from YouTube. Like yeah. I, we're making enough that our bills are paid and that's all I can ask yeah. for. Yeah. But going back to the, to the road thing, I thought when the pandemic started, um, I honestly was like, I'm going to be home for like a month and it'll be cool. <laughs> and then I'm, thought, huh? and then I'm going to want to go back out on the road and it didn't yeah. happen. Yeah. Like, it's like, this is wild. Um, one, somebody asked me this recently, and I want to get your take on it. Mm -hmm. With the pandemic happening and bands and crew members having to find other means of, you know, survival, jobs, financial stuff, I've seen a lot of crew guys that are for sure not going back out on the road. Have you seen any actual musicians or artists that have, like, gotten a different full-time job that are not going back out either? 
I mean, I can't say specifically like yeah. what their job choice is, but like, for example, I think a big, one of the big announcements in the metal world was uh, Marco from Nightwish. Yeah. And in his statement, when he said like the reasons he was leaving was that he wasn't like in love with touring anymore i believe yeah he said he didn't want to be away from home and all that so i don't know exactly what i'm assuming you know he had a good paycheck nightwish is oh yeah hugely successful so i don't think it was money that was the reason um it was a, it was a very cryptic announcement and a lot of people took it a lot of different ways and i still to this day I've, i read it when it happened because i couldn't believe it and yeah. I didn't know how to take it because while he did allude to like he wasn't enjoying touring anymore, he also said, and just for people that are listening, this is not direct quotes, so I, I don't want to put words in his mouth. This is just kind of what I remember. But I remember him talking about how, you know, he doesn't like how some of these industries are funded and where the money that they're making is going and stuff like this. And it's like yeah. there were people that took that as – Marco's tired of the corporate fat cats raking in money and he doesn't want to be a part of it anymore. And I don't know if that is a big part of it either, but yeah, that it was, be. that was yeah. a big announcement. Yeah. I mean, I will say from my perspective, I always thought it was wrong and, you know, don't take this personally because you've been on the crew side, but I always thought it was wrong that everybody on a tour gets paid except the artist and Basically, what's left goes to the artist. So if yes. there's a lot of money that's left, that goes to the artist, and that's great. If there's debt left, that goes to the artist, and it sucks. We talked about this somewhere recently. I can't remember if it was on one of my Twitch streams or Discord or something, but people were asking about, like, you know, how much do artists actually make? And I was like, well, I, I couldn't give you an actual answer yeah. because... And I'll just use my last tour as an example. Um, Dustin Lynch, country guy. With country, the sole owner of the business is the person whose name is on the marquee. Most of the band members are hired guns, which means they're getting a salaried paycheck. The mm -hmm. crew guys are getting a salaried paycheck. The money that Dustin's making is whatever he nets after all of that stuff mm -hmm. is paid for. And you got to think, it's not just the band and the crew. It's management and booking agents taking their cut and the bus rentals mm -hmm. and the gear rentals and all of that yeah. stuff. So I know for sure, and I, I don't know about Dustin, but I have worked for bands where I know I made more as a tech mm -hmm. in one tour than the band actually took home. Mm -hmm. That's for crazy. Sure. For sure. I think unless we're talking about the bands that are like, uh, sold out metro chicago you know yeah. like a thousand capacity plus headline band i think there it's safe to say that the headline act is making more than the crew mm -hmm. but anything else that's like a band that maybe headlines like a 300 400 500 cap venue on a tour it might be safe to say that the crew is still making more than the band yeah um and i think it's it's a bit unfair it's it's high risk high reward right mm -hmm. as a as a career choice um but i think of course your personal decisions as a band and how you're going to tour influence that so like for example are you willing to tough it out and just you know do a van tour across the us and feel stinky and <laughs> sore the entire tour or do you want to rent a tour bus that costs a thousand dollars a day to rent and you need a driver that also needs to get paid 
you know, that's a big expense. Um, and I've totally seen some bands like opening bands making unwise decisions in mm -hmm. their expenses where I'm like, man, this band is awesome, but they're going to go home with so much debt and it hurts my heart, you know? <laughs> I have to stay in my lane sometimes with situations like that because I've been on tour like as a crew guy for a headlining band and I see an opener that's coming out on their first tour and they hired techs for everybody Oof. and they're in a bus and stuff like that. And like, I really just want to pull them aside and be like, guys, <laughs> what are you you're, doing? you're making a horrible decision. <laughs> and yes. it's so funny that that just reminded me of this crazy story. I don't know if I want to mention the band. I okay. won't, I won't just in case I'll tell you when we're done. Um, <laughs> but this band asked me to come drum tech for them. And their drummer personally asked me. And when he gave me the salary for the gig, it was day rate. It mm -hmm. was, I laughed literally. It was, in, it was insulting. Oh. And I was like, really? And he's like, well, here's the thing, dude. Like we got a lot to pay for and we tour in a bus. And I was like, yeah, but like you could save so much money if you guys just got a bandwagon or just did a 15 passenger for a run. And he goes, no, man, we tour in a bus. Otherwise, we don't tour. I was like, cool. Like, well, I will not be doing this tour with you. Thank you very much for the offer. Wow. Like, I, I don't know if that's ego that bands think that they need to like, you know, if they're in a bus, yeah. it makes them look bigger or what it is. <laughs> or, But like, I personally, when I was in my band, Dude, we didn't even have a 15 passenger. We had a Chevy Astro van with a trailer yeah. that we bought from like a local Cub Scout like yeah. organization. I can't tell you how many times we've just pulled over to rest stop mm -hmm. and just five stinky sweaty dudes just slept in a van rather than spending $50 on a La Quinta hotel. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, we're the same. Yes. Yeah. This, this upcoming tour we're doing, it's actually the first time we're doing it in an RV. Mm -hmm. um and so we're getting the rv actually from my dad so that's like yes. a huge help thank you dad but it's a very small rv so yeah. it's still gonna be tight it's just like it's one step up from the van mm -hmm. every other tour i've done in north america with the agonist has been in a van with a trailer and there have been times many times that i slept in a van you know mm -hmm. me i'm a girl i'm not even like a princess about this because <laughs> You know, at the end of the day, it's like, do I want to go home in debt or do I want to go home with some money in my pocket? Exactly. Know? And that's the trade off that I don't think a lot of people get is like, yeah, you tough it out on the road and, yeah. you know, live a little uncomfortably. And sometimes it's very uncomfortable, but you're going to come home with a lot more. This, yeah. um, I didn't see this. I've only heard about this. Maybe you saw it, but I heard that there was a crazy Twitter thread recently where somebody was talking about, um, bands that have to sleep in vans or something like that. Do you know what I'm talking about or no? No, not hmm. specifically. Do you remember more details on this? Um, a little bit. I, I Nick Nocturnal was talking about it. Um, apparently somebody posted a thing about bitching about touring in a van and you know, he's like, all oh, these bands, like, you know, being in a band is not glamorous. Like, we can't get hotels. We have to sleep in a van. So, like, when people, you know, they were just going off. And a bunch of big-name artists, for some reason, like, got onto this. Mm -hmm. And I know, I think Nick had said it was, like, Franz from Attila was like, 
then don't be in a band. Like nobody said this was glamorous. Yeah. Like this is this is what it is. Like if when yeah. you're a, a, an up and coming band, even sometimes mid level bands, dude, just financially and how everything works out. Yeah, you got to tough it out. That's what this is. This yeah. isn't just big glamorous. I know the guitar player from Lamb of God recently tweeted something funny where he was like, he was, everybody thinks it's super glamorous to be on the road, but in reality, it's being on a bus with eight other dudes that are just farting and burping all the time. And <laughs> <Can't> confirm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. I don't mean any of this as a complaint from the things I've done. I had some of the best memories I will ever have from touring have been in a van with like four yeah. or five other people. For sure. I think, you know, there there needs to be like some realism here that it's like, especially if you're first starting out or say you've been doing it for X amount of years, but your pull hasn't exactly grown. Like you need to think as a band, how many people am I bringing into the venue? Mm -hmm. And if you're not bringing a significant amount of people, then you shouldn't have these demands. Um, I wish the world worked in a way where it was like, our art and our work was getting paid and not our name and who we are, but that's not what it is. Um, you know, like I'm not going to step into a venue and be like, I'm easily the best singer you guys have ever had here. I should get paid, you know, mm -hmm. like that. It's like, are you bringing people here or not? You know, yeah. cause that's all that matters. Yeah. At the end of the day, that is like, I did a tour once with a with a band that in the 90s were like arena headlining level huge. Mm -hmm. And when I toured with them in like the 2010s, we were doing 400 cap clubs and only about 70 people showed up every night. Oof. And I wonder if there is that mentality of like, this is how big we used to be. This is how people should treat us now. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that's not how it works. Like it's what are you what are you pulling right now? Yeah. Like yeah. how much money are you making this venue that you're doing a show at right now? You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, I think, you know, I think in a perfect world, just to close this chapter, I think everybody could be paid a pretty decent amount of money if certain people were willing to make compromises and sacrifices. However, going into a show there are like you said multiple people that are being paid it's like the crew the venue itself the staff at the venue uh, managers uh, the booking agents everything right so i think the problem really really starts when one of those people or a few of those people get greedy and they say you know what i want more than so and so and that's where it kind of starts becoming not fair anymore so to speak and then it's like at the end of the day there's not enough money left for the artist which is the only reason this show is happening to begin yes. with so yep. i think that aspect is cruel and unfair in the biz in the music industry and would be nice if that changed um but people are people you know and some yeah. people are shitty what are we gonna do <laughs> and one one last thing i wanted to add to that too before we move yeah. on was um um i can't remember who said it but i saw somebody on twitch talking about this recently and they said that there seems to be this weird stigma where any kind of artist needs to be like a suffering artist you know what i mean mm -hmm. it's like they expect that these bands that put out this music that people enjoy do 
struggle. Like you need to struggle to be a real artist. And the second you get big and you have a bus or you have extra money, people are like, oh, they sold out or they got too big for themselves <laughs> and stuff like that. I, I, I really kind of buy into that. I think in terms of the average person, I think that is a thing. People just think that artists are always struggling or somehow need to always be struggling. Otherwise they're not real artists, which is fucking weird. It is weird. I think that starts from the songwriting phase, to be honest with you. I think a lot of people, especially heavy music, turn to heavy music because they have these inner demons. Mm -hmm. um, like, let's be completely honest. We're not normal people. No. Like, <laughs> we think we're normal and we're looking at the other people that listen to like pop and hip hop and dance music thinking that they're weird. It's like, no, we're the weirdos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we turned to this genre of music for certain psychological reasons really and um i think when you first start out when you first like write your first songs you start your first tours and all that you're still wrestling with those demons and perhaps the struggle helps it helps you get those words on paper or put those notes down in a song but i think you know after 10 15 years of doing this i think you should be uh, mature enough to realize that you have all the experience in the world and you're so seasoned that you don't need that anymore. Like, I don't need to down a bottle of whiskey to write a song. Mm -hmm. I can just tap into those emotions, remember those feelings and bring those demons out. I don't need to actually physically harm myself. Yeah. And it's crazy you bring that up because uh, just specifically bringing up whiskey, um, you know, I've, I, I've seen a lot of people, especially in the metal community lately, like all that are sober now that it's like, yeah. that was in the early days. It was like, that was the thing. And I'll tell you, you know, even when I tell people in the metal community that I'm sober, they're like, what? <laughs> like, they're like, you, like, you, you like listen to metal and you have a beard and tattoos. And I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't mean anything like, yeah. you know? But yeah, it's a it's an interesting conversation. I mean, I feel like we could probably take up four hours of a podcast talking oh, about this, so we don't have to keep doing sure. that. But for uh, sure. <laughs> um, you know, speaking of touring, I did see um, you guys are about to go out uh, with Hypocrisy, right? Yes. Is that your first tour since, like, first actual full tour since like the pandemic has mm -hmm. has happened? Yeah. Oh, first man. one. That is gonna be awesome. I'm so excited for this tour. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was at the end of this month, right? It starts April 29th. Yeah. And lasts all of May. So it's a one month tour. Could be longer, but it's okay. I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> Have you guys played any shows in the last couple of years? We played one. One, one. show one in show. December. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. That's that. I'll, you know, I was. <laughs> It's so crazy to think about that because a lot of these artists, like that's the whole reason you write music is you want to play your songs to a live audience and connect yeah. with those people every night. And that's, I mean, so many bands have not played shows in over like 700 days now. It's crazy. And actually we were really lucky to even get to play that show because it was the last show in Montreal before they brought restrictions in again. Mm -hmm. um, like literally unleash the archers were playing the next day it got and that canceled. got canceled. Yep. Yeah. I remember that. Oh, I was, and what's funny is, so before I left Chicago to drive up there, I was like, Hey guys, are we sure this show is happening? And they're like, yeah, why wouldn't it happen? Everything's open here. And I'm like, 
haven't you seen this whole like Omicron craziness that's going on? Because, you know, the, the States is a little more accelerated and yeah. then things go to Canada. And they're like, no, nah, no, nah, everything's good here. So I'm like, all right, across the border, get there, you know, two days before the show. Uh, we don't know if the show's going to happen after all. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's so funny, like things are accelerated here, but like you live here, so you know, I mean, yeah. nobody gives a shit anymore. It's oh. like, we're like, we're to the point where I feel like, I feel like as a country as a whole, it's like, we're just at the point where everybody hit that almost breaking point where they're like, we don't care. We'll just risk yeah. it. Like we'd rather keep living than have to risk any yeah. of this anymore, which to be honest, I can only speak for myself and my family. Like we did find the last couple of, I, I had personally, as, again, as an introvert, yeah. I had no problem sitting in my house for a couple of years. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I understand, like I see a lot of other people that just, it's mm -hmm. it's been rough. It's been rough for a lot of people. And I think now that, we're getting to a point where shows are opening back up and tours are happening and stuff. People are more excited now than ever to actually go see live music again. Yeah, I think that's a result of multiple things. I think, you know, A, people are fed up. Even if you are an introvert, there comes a certain point where you're like, okay, this was fun the first year, second year, I'm done, you know? Mm -hmm. I wanna stay inside because I choose to stay inside, not because I'm forced to. Um, B, I think the biggest issue, that's where I had a problem with since the beginning, was the fact that we were told what was essential and what wasn't essential. Yes. And, you know, who gets harmed at the end of the day? The small businesses do. Mm -hmm. The family-owned businesses that need their customers to survive are the ones that get harmed, that went bankrupt, bands couldn't tour, a lot of people quit music. And I think that's, you know, that's not fair. Um, I'm not even going to be a hypocrite. You know, I did a lot of Amazon shopping. I still shop on Amazon. It's yeah. very Same. convenient, <laughs> mm -hmm. great prices. So it's not even about like, oh, screw corporations because we all use these corporations. Like, of let's course. be honest. It's just, you know, don't don't make these decisions for us on what what's essential to stay open and what's not. I think everything should have stayed open and just with like certain rules and certain you know regulations we need to follow yeah and then maybe people wouldn't have been so upset at a certain point i have with a lot of things i have a certain um not necessarily survival of the fittest but kind of darwinistic approach to um a lot of things in my life and COVID, after a while was one of those things where i i even to myself was like you know what open everything mm -hmm. let the people that want to risk it go do whatever they want yeah let the people that can't stay at home. But it, speaking of the essential thing, it was mind blowing to me to watch every single concert in this town that was booked get canceled. Yet the fucking hockey team is having a game every single night exactly. at the same arena where the shows are getting canceled. Exactly. Like that, that, <laughs> you know, NFL games, NBA, NHL. Meanwhile, all the players are testing for COVID and all that stuff. So it's, you know, yeah. It was the whole thing, like like you said, the small businesses were definitely left to suffer while all mm -hmm. the, the big million dollar corporations were like, well, we can't let these guys, you know, fail. Of course. So. Of course. That's that's where it bothered me. And I'm, I'm right there with you. I think uh, for myself from the beginning, I was like, why are we shutting down everything? And I didn't say this to a lot of people because I think once COVID happened, 
we really got to see people's true colors for in a sure. sense. Yeah. And a lot of people were like, screw this, I'm going out. And then a lot of people were like, oh, I'm so scared. You know, I'm never leaving my house. Mm -hmm. And um, I have a lot of friends that were like that. They were very cautious. And I had to like control a little bit and, you know, hold back my own thoughts and opinions as to not come across as yeah. insensitive. Because at the end of the day, you know, I think people are free to do whatever they want to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for for <laughs> what's funny is for those people, a lot of them that I know, they eventually caught COVID and they felt cheated in a sense. They're like, I did everything I was told. I stayed yeah. home, this and that, and I still got it. So you had it, right? I, I did. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel as though I don't know how the hell this happened, but. <laughs> Every single person that I like, all my close friends that are roadies mm -hmm. and musicians in Nashville, everybody's had it. I still somehow didn't get it. And I think there's like, you know, this has only been around for two years. A lot of the other major diseases we have in our society are stuff that have been studied for years and years and years, and we know more about it. I really legitimately wonder if some people have like a like a genetic predisposition predisposition or something mm -hmm. that boot that boosted their immune system from this because i know people that went out all the time like yeah. concerts restaurants everything they never got it yeah and then i, I would know say yeah i would say it's either that or they got it and they were like completely asymptomatic because i've heard of that so i have a sneaking suspicion that myself and all of my crew guys actually did get it Mm -hmm. uh, we did a show in New York City at the end of January 2020. So about six oh. weeks before it became what it became. Yes. And when we came back from New York City, we all felt like absolute piles of shit for like a week. Mm -hmm. But at the time, we all just chalked it up to, yeah, maybe we caught a cold or got, it's flu season, whatever. Yeah. And we didn't really think about it until later because it was over a month later that COVID became a thing. And then a, a couple months down the line, I was talking to one of our techs and I was like, do you think that maybe when we were in New York, we actually got it before it was super severe and we didn't know it? And he's like, that's actually a really good point. We may have. So yeah, officially on paper, I haven't got it, but there mm -hmm. is a chance, like you said, I may yeah. have, and I didn't exhibit the symptoms that everybody said were available at the time, yeah. you know? Well, so. I think... I know a few people in that category and actually my own experience was um 70,000 tons which was in January as well. Mm -hmm. I heard that a lot of people were really sick after that cruise. Um I felt like like crap for like 2 days but that may have been a result of like drinking and not sleeping enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, but I know people that were sick for like a week or 2 weeks after that. So yeah. that's one example and also the thing with COVID is like the symptoms have been so different for everyone. Yeah. Like when I officially got it, all I had was a fever and this headache that would not go away. Like my head felt like it was going to blow up. That's a common one I've heard from a lot of <laughs> people. It? And, and it's and it's crazy from what you've said. Um, my mom, sister and stepdad all got COVID at the same time, living in the same house. My mom had super minor cold symptoms. My sister was asymptomatic. My stepdad wound up in the hospital. So wow. the fact that it affected everybody so differently. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the one thing that bums me out the most about this whole situation is um, 
the animosity that formed between a lot of people i saw friends like people lose friendships over arguing about this shit and like yeah the things yeah. that um you know i had a moment uh at the store this was within the last couple months actually mm -hmm. um claire and i have still took taken this very seriously we're not worried about ourselves at all like yeah it's i'm worried about <laughs> the one-year-old that of course. you know she can't talk yet so if she feels bad she can't tell us what feels bad that's the worry that was in my head yeah so when i went to the store i put on a mask and i was walking down an aisle and this guy walks by me and he's just staring at me and he like mumbled something and i didn't i didn't even acknowledge it i kept walking and he goes that just must be part of your outfit or something huh and i was like what and he's like you know you know they told us we don't have to wear those face diapers anymore and i'm just like i was just mm -hmm. like dude worry about yourself old timer that's all i said to the guy yeah he went ballistic on me in the middle of a grocery store started screaming at me and said like i he's i can't remember the exact wording but this is very close he said you're lucky i don't make the decisions on this stuff because i'd line people like you up and just shoot them and i'm like that that is the epitome of what this has done to our society. It's yeah. everybody's so aggressive about everything, and it's like, man, like we we talked about at the beginning of this conversation. It's like let people live their lives. Don't worry about anybody else. Do what yeah. you. Claire and I approach this from a sense of we did exactly what we felt necessary to protect us, mm -hmm. and didn't give a shit about what anybody else was doing. Yeah. yeah and, so. Yeah. No, I'm right there with you. I think. This is just one example where division was really strong um, mm -hmm. with people. But I think, you know, it's an ongoing thing. History repeats. There's many instances where people have been placed on the opposite spectrum when this shouldn't really be happening. You know, like like COVID became very political yeah. and it shouldn't have. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's like, do we should be free to do what we want to do as individuals, not tell other people what to do. Yeah. And I've seen this animosity happen, like from how you described it. I've seen it happen in videos like on the opposite side where there's someone with a mask and they're yelling at someone with another yep. mask, like, put it on. You're killing me. You're killing me. And yep. I'm like, yeah, dude, calm the fuck down. You and that's know, a, like and that's a very fair point. Like, I don't want to make this seem like any one side of this argument has been worse than the other, because at the mm -hmm. end of the day, there's been shitty people all over the place with opinions on this and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, that's the thing that drove me nuts was everybody. It was like, when this started, it was, everybody felt like it was like forced that we had to pick a side mm -hmm. and then, and it was just crazy, man. And, you know, some, you know, it, it's all dying yeah. down at this point, at least where we're at right now, who knows something new <laughs> could happen, but at least where we're at right now, I'm excited that, live music's coming back all this stuff and um you know i actually went and saw my first show in almost two years three years first show that i actually paid to go see because obviously i had to watch a show every night when i was working <laughs> uh i went and saw ginger in nashville oh nice um, i think it was like november or october or something and there was just such a cool sense of like some people were in, were wearing masks some people weren't but there was no bullshit. It was mm -hmm. everybody in that room. There was just such a good vibe of like, mm -hmm. who gives a shit what anybody else decided to do to come here? 
we are We're all here, here watching music and yeah. having a good time right now. And it was so yeah. cool to see, man. It was, I it think was awesome. To add to that, I think the internet gives us a more toxic perception of reality than yeah. what actually exists. Yeah. And all these keyboard, you know, social justice warriors or whatever that are on the internet, they're not the actual people that go to shows and have fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and on top of that, on the internet, it's like, who knows what's even real? Like, yeah, I bet you 90% of the stories that you see about crazy stuff over the last couple of years, like either didn't happen or were highly exaggerated. It's like, oh, yes. I saw people, you know, on their Instagram stories say, oh, I went out and this happened and blah, blah, blah. And in my head, I'm like, there's no fucking way that <laughs> happened. There's no way. So, yeah, yeah there is a sense of, um, you know, the, the Twitter, the Facebook, the Instagram, all that stuff is just, it feeds into all of that negativity, man. Because, you know, when we were, when we were kids, I feel so funny saying when we were kids, like we're old now, like... I do um, the same thing. Trust it, me. <laughs> dude, it's fucking, I'm, I'm going to turn 35 this year. And I compared, oh. compared to some of the people like the, the younger generation that I see now, it's like, I feel like an old person. Like I, like when I was a kid, we had AOL instant messenger. <laughs> that was it. Yes. Like MySpace came out when I was like a senior in high school mm -hmm. and, um, we didn't have the social media we had now. So we had, you know, if, if we, when we were kids, we watched the news or, our our parents who usually had a very one-sided perspective on some of the stuff that came on the news and stuff like that yeah you know we didn't see all these tweets and these instagram stories and all this about all this crazy shit. so i really do think you you're absolutely 100 percent right that that like puts you know fuel on the fire in a lot of situations yeah. i think social media too i mean this is taking the conversation a little bit in a different direction but <laughs> I'm, I'm all for it whatever yeah, I think social media has given people a platform that don't deserve to have a platform. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> because I, I I saw this like funny, I think it was a tweet where people were like explaining what each social media platform does. And it was saying like that TikTok, for example, is for people that are nobodies that are trying to become somebodies. Yeah. And they have become somebodies like... <laughs> I see people with like 500,000 followers. I'm like, who the fuck are you? Like, what, what do you do? And they do nothing in life. You know, I heard, just... I heard this. So I'm, I'm not up to speed with TikTok. I have a TikTok because yeah. when I started doing social media, people were like, yeah, you got to stay up with the times and TikTok's where everybody's at. And I suck at it. I usually just yeah. take clips from Your like, streams. yeah, clips from streams and put it yeah. on there. And like, not a lot of people watch that. But yeah. I've heard that there is like a legitimate thing now where there's like TikTok houses where it's like 18 year olds get big houses together and all they do is come up with content and shit. Yeah, like, it's a thing. It's a thing. I only recently started using it where I just take clips from like my Twitch performances and I post them on there. And actually, it's been good in that sense because a few people see the clips and then they come to Twitch and they're like, oh, cool. You actually perform, you know? But it can be a very toxic world. I just, I don't dabble into that. I'm like, I'm doing my thing. I'm posting my stuff on my own profile and that's it. But um, it can, yes. Uh, the point being that social media has given people a voice that, you know, makes them feel important and relevant in a sense. And I'm not saying that, you know, people's opinions don't matter, but they're not equal. 
Yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tolerate, for example, someone that's not a musician or someone that's tone deaf, can't sing for shit, and they come and they express their opinion to me about music and mm -hmm. pretend as if their opinion is at the same value as my opinion. It's yeah. like, no, the world doesn't work that way. For sure. And I get that with me. And again, I, I would like to reiterate for anybody listening, I don't <laughs> think that my opinion is necessarily better than anybody's. But with the stuff that I do on YouTube, a lot of that opinion is coming from my unique experience of actually working for bands. Mm -hmm. So when I say something and then I have some internet troll start an argument in the comments section about something they've never experienced, they've never yeah. been on tour, they don't know anything about instruments or anything, and they start arguing with, you know, I, I got to a point when I first started YouTube I still, believe it or not, I still read through every single one of my comments. Yay. <laughs> I don't respond to all of them because that would just take forever. Mm -hmm. But I utilize on YouTube, you can like heart the comments that yeah. you like. Like if I, if I heart something, that means I read it. I, I acknowledged yeah. that I read it. But when I, early on when I started YouTube, um, every time I got like a, like a troll comment or a negative comment, I would fire back with something sarcastic. And mm -hmm. it wasn't until I saw, um, I saw an interview on YouTube with um, a guy who's a video editor and a content manager for huge YouTubers like Jake and Logan Paul and Mr. Beast and stuff like that. And they asked him the question, when you get a troll comment, do you A, delete it, B, fire back sarcastically, or C, completely ignore? And he goes, C, every time completely ignore. He goes, don't, mm -hmm. don't delete it. Don't acknowledge it. Just ignore it because 99% of those people that are leaving those comments, that's what they're going after. Yeah. They want to trigger you to respond. Yeah. Like they want yeah. you to acknowledge them and, you know, get fired up about whatever they yeah. said. It makes them feel important. And mm -hmm. you know, it's, that's cute. I'm <laughs> like, Oh, look at you. It's like, and, and <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I have no problem with people attacking me. I just, I don't like, I, yeah. I'm, I, I kind of live my life by this motto of like, what people think about me is none of my business. So when I see a troll comment, it legitimately doesn't bother me. Yeah. The only time I get bothered when I do YouTube reactions and videos and stuff is when they start saying things about other people. And one of the, the big guest. examples, yeah. this, this includes you actually. Of course. One of the big examples <laughs> is every time I do a reaction to a band that has a female vocalist, there's gotta be a hundred comments of somebody saying something super sexist or misogynistic. And it's like, it's like, it's like the 16 year old that <laughs> watches a video with a female singer and they're just like, boobs, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. dude, like really, you just mm -hmm. watched a four minute masterpiece work of art and that's all you could come up with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that is strong to this day. And sometimes I will, I will actually screenshot these comments and put them like on Twitter or Instagram, not because it bothers me, but because I'm like, I want you to feel shame. So yeah. like, I don't respond to them. I just kind of like expose them yeah. and people love it. Like the DMs that I get with people laughing. Yeah. And then there's a few people that try to console me. They're like, don't let this bother you. I'm like, this does not bother me. I just want, I want to expose this asshole, you know? Yeah. There's, I've, I've actually spoken to some PR agents in, in the music industry that have said that they have female artists that like can't even look at comments on their YouTube videos anymore yeah. because they're so out of hand. And I'm like, yeah. 
how unfortunate is that? Like, you know, it's like nobody's, you know, you never see comments where people are like, dude, look at the bulge in that guy's pants. Like, you don't see shit like that. <laughs> no. We should I start. Actually, yeah, it's so, like, funny you mentioned this because I, I tweeted this the other day. I noticed on Facebook because it was popping up on my recommendations because I don't use Facebook much, like, mostly just for Messenger to keep in touch with, like, close friends. Um, but there were groups popping up of, you know, certain famous female metal artists. And they're like groups with like thousands of people, um, 10 posts a day type situation. And like 10 out of 10 posts are pictures of these women and comments underneath saying, oh my God, so beautiful, so sexy, so this, so yeah. that. And, you know, I made a tweet saying that this is really gross in a sense because mm -hmm. it's like, it's it would be okay if it was a variety you know, like, here's a music video, here's a song, now here's a photo, you know, switch up the content. But if you're just posting photos of these women, it's like, are you a true fan of their music? No. Because I don't see you mentioning their music at all. Yeah. You know, well, and it's very disturbing. It's um, what, I, what I've started noticing, and I'm getting kind of, um, I it's disturbing is the good word for it, is um, YouTube reactors are starting to do that shit, where... They're not necessarily saying anything in their videos or comments or anything like that, but um, clickbait thumbnails. And I'll give you an oh. example. Um, somebody did a reaction to an Amaranth song somewhat recently, and the mm -hmm. thumbnail is them making the typical reactor face, the, you know, mm -hmm. and then it was um, a picture of. Fuck, why am I blanking out? Elise, sorry. Please. God, brain fart. <laughs> Um, it was a picture of her and often at their shows when she's singing, she gets on one of their ego risers and like squats down and sings yeah. or something. It was literally like a close up of yeah. a camera angle from below her and stuff like that. And it was like 80% of the thumbnail. And I'm just like, like, I, I know exactly what you're doing here. Yeah. Like, you know, and it's like, that needs to be brought up in my opinion, because while those reactors may not be saying anything in their videos or doing anything like that, they're absolutely taking advantage of the female artist in the band and exploiting that kind of stuff just for clickbait. Yeah. And it's like, you're, and in my opinion, I'm like, you're, you're just as bad as, as the person that's leaving the comment, you know, of course. just boobs, you know? Yeah. So it's, uh, I don't, I don't know if this will ever change because, you know, sex set, sex sells yep. and it will always sell um i think there's a lot of it depends case by case you know there's a lot of people to blame for this and sometimes and i don't want to sound sometimes i say this on my streams and people are like cancel vicky now because she <laughs> hates all other women i do not hate all other women i there are there oh there are some women that unfortunately think that they also have to do this mm -hmm. to promote their career and push themselves. And I think that, you know, I'm not shaming anyone. It's a free world. You are free to do whatever you want. But if let's say 90% of the content you, po you post is like sexy, provocative photos or selfies or whatever, you're not trying to push your music. And then you receive these types of comments from people don't be exactly surprised because it's like, this is the material you're promoting. Yeah. I, I, I think you actually said that very 
very intelligently. It's like, don't be surprised. Yeah. Maybe you don't deserve those kind of comments and stuff, but don't be surprised that you're getting them. And this is the big argument yeah. with Twitch that we see a lot is you see, um, you know, you'll see a female musician that plays an instrument pretty well, mm -hmm. but every time they're streaming, they're wearing like a super low cut top and their boobs are hanging over their instrument and stuff like that. <laughs> so we, the normal person, like we understand, like we get it. We, we get what you're doing. You're attracting an audience in and that's fine, whatever. But like you just said, don't be surprised at the type of audience that you attract yeah. in yeah. when that happens. Yeah. Cause I, I have seen women that do this complain afterwards and be like, Oh my God, I can't believe men are like sexualizing me and this and that. And I'm like, do you not see how <laughs> you're dressed? in this photo what you're promoting mm -hmm. how are you surprised you know then again men will be men you know like i've it's happened sure. to me i'll post something that's not provocative at all and get those types of comments Dude, i just think that the more you do it the more you're gonna bring in as as a guy i will tell you right now and i've said this to my wife guys will sexualize anything it doesn't that matter what it is like it just <laughs> happens and it's funny because you know, you're married, so you probably get it too, but there's a certain mindset difference between people that are married and people that are still single and stuff like that. And I say that because when I, um, the last eight years of touring for me, I've been married mm -hmm. and I love my wife. I don't want to be with anybody else. If I did, I just wouldn't have gotten married. Yeah. So when I went on the road, I wasn't worried about meeting women or hooking up or anything like that but I see all the single guys out on the road that that's, that's still their thing. And that's fine. They're single. They want to party. They want to have a good time. That's cool. But when those single guys start talking to me in conversation about like, dude, check out this chick and blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. And it's like, dude, I don't care. I don't want to. I don't yeah. care at all. Like, yeah. and that's what happens on the internet on YouTube and stuff too, is like, you know, um, when, uh, it was on my stream one day we were, we were kind of talking about this with people and we were talking about how every, every time I would post a Nightwish video, there's all, always something about floor, just sexualizing floor. And one day somebody was like, dude, don't act all high and mighty. Like you don't think that she's a good looking woman. I was like, I never said she wasn't. I'm just yeah. saying there's, there's more going on here than just yeah. her being a good looking woman. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's a difference between saying, you know, here's a beautiful woman. Sometimes I'll, I'll start streaming and I, I had a nice makeup day, you know, and like my regulars, some of my, my regulars are like, you're looking very pretty today, Vicky. And I'm like, oh, thank you. You know, like that's, that's coming from a nice place versus, you know, titties, boobies yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all that, that stuff. What's, what's wild is I've, what I've encountered I shared this with my wife recently and she kind of made me have like almost a revelation. I, as you know, just me, I'm very nice in public to everybody that I encounter. I, male, female, anything in between, doesn't matter. I, I always treat everybody nice. And I've had situations where I've literally like said something nice to like a woman or something like that. And immediately she's like, not interested. And I was like, and I was telling my wife this story because this is something that happened probably within the last six months. Like there was a girl at the store and I tried to strike up a conversation while we were just in the grocery store checkout line. And she was just like, I'm not interested. I'm like, oh, okay. I was just talking. Cool. Um, 
my wife was like, yeah, but you got to understand like, or, or what I told her was, I don't understand that most women that I'm just nice to think that it's a pickup line. And my wife was like, yeah, but you got to understand that as women, we've kind of been conditioned to think that that's what's happening. And I was like, oh shit. I never even yeah. thought about that. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough because it's like, I would say, you know, listen to your instinct. Um, but maybe not everyone's instincts are correct. Yeah. Like I can only speak from my own experience and 99% of my environment is male because of yeah. the industry that I'm in. So I think that has helped me kind of have a good instinct about who's just talking to me to be nice versus who's actually hitting on me yeah. because I'm surrounded by men all the time. And it's just not possible that every man that's talking to me is hitting on me for sure. Yeah. But I guess from from a female perspective that isn't in that environment where the encounters with men aren't as high, I could see how you could assume that, you know, maybe this yeah. is coming from that sort of uh, environment. But this is a problem, though. You know, it mm -hmm. is a problem. Um, I don't know the solution, but. <laughs> oh, we're, we're never going to see a solution in our lifetimes. Yeah. I'll tell you that yeah. right now. Yeah. Like, yeah. And especially with like you've already brought up like sex sells the society that we live in i mean you see it everywhere it's in mm -hmm. everything it's and yeah. it's not going to go away until it doesn't work anymore and i don't see it not working anytime soon you no. know no i think at, at the end of the day you just have to do what makes you comfortable you know i this is something i've definitely struggled with and struggle a little bit today as well that you know in the back of my head i'm i'm always like oh what if i posted the same exact video and i showed off more of my body or something would that get me more engagement and you know what it probably would but it wouldn't give me the type of engagement that i want and to be honest with you like when i post a video a clip of me singing and i see that 90 percent of the comments are talking about my voice and how great my voice is that makes me feel so good. I don't care that it's not a thousand comments. If 900 of them are going to be like, you're so beautiful, you know? Yeah. So at the end of the day, you just got to make the, the decisions that, you know, you could go to sleep at night and have your conscience clean and feel good about yourself. I, I say this in the most respectful way possible, but I'm, I'm so happy. I'm a dude sometimes because I, <laughs> I, 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 part of this, I don't, I don't fully understand because I'm not a woman. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, uh, Elizabeth, the charismatic mm -hmm. voice, another vocal coach yeah. reactor on YouTube. Um, her husband, uh, helps manage a lot of her YouTube content and all stuff like that. And I've gotten to know them very well over the last like year. Like they're great people. I consider them friends. And one day I just asked uh, her husband, I was like, dude, you, you moderate all these comments and you see mm -hmm. all this stuff. I go, is it? Is it is it ridiculous for the most part? He goes, dude, you have no idea. He goes, you have no idea what some of these female content creators and social media people and stuff have to deal with until you actually see it. Yeah. Like with your own eyes. And he goes, I'm not even talking the stuff that YouTube auto moderates. I'm yeah. just stuff that makes it through. He goes, it's 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 brutal. And I'm just like, mm -hmm. I mean, and then here I am just a, you know, stocky bearded dude <laughs> like the most yeah. i ever get is people are like dude sick beard <laughs> like, <laughs> <you know. laughs> 
so yeah it's it's interesting this is I, I will say this is wild this is probably one of the most like in terms of podcasts and interviews i mean we've spent five percent of it actually talking about music and stuff like and the crazy thing is i actually think when it comes to podcasts like for me if i were listening this is the kind of stuff i i'd love talking about because yeah let's be real here everybody that comes and watches interviews with bands and stuff they know who they are from the band like yeah i like the real conversations mm -hmm. i like the real like gloves off let's just sit here yeah. as human beings like one of the nicest compliments i thought i got on one of these podcast episodes so far was somebody was like this doesn't feel like an interview with an artist. It feels like a couple friends sitting at the end of a bar. And I'm like, I love that. That's exactly what we're going for here, you know? That's the exact reason I love podcasts. Because yeah. interviews, you know, you just get the same questions over and over again. And it's like, as much as I don't want to answer them, I'm sure that's how much people don't want to hear it or yeah. see it. So this is this is great <laughs> I, it's, it, it's it, and this is this is great for me too because like even though we're creating content for other people to hear it's allowing us to get to know each other better too yeah. like it's it's really cool you know sure. um i've gotten to the point where i don't even want to do interviews anymore because like i still have that short form like 25 30 minute interview with a roadie thing and mm -hmm. i still get offers for it from like pr people that are like hey would you like to have so and so on and if i'm being honest I just don't want to do it because this is what I enjoy, you know? Um, this is, yeah, this is a lot cooler and it allows for a conversation to happen. Yeah. We've been here an hour and a half. It doesn't even feel like it. No, not at all. Like <laughs> yeah. when I, when I got on here with you, we had just given our daughter dinner and we were playing with her and stuff. And I guarantee you, I don't even know what's going on right now, but I guarantee you she's like already in bed and Claire's just watching TV <laughs> or something. Like it's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, but like, I also think that 25 to 30 minutes on an interview, it doesn't even give you time to build rapport with anybody. No, it has to like be really specific. If it's going to be 20 or 30 minutes, it's going to be like, this is the theme and we're not going anywhere else. Yes. It's just this one thing. Yeah. I had a recently, it's not going to happen. Um, something happened with scheduling, but I actually did have an interview lined up for this week with, with an artist on your label. Mm-hmm where that's exactly what it was going to be. They're like, yeah. yeah, you got 25 minutes with them. Um, like stick to a new release, you know, touring, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that's just not what I'm going for with my content. Like you can go yeah. to any media outlet and see an artist do the same interview with anybody else, mm -hmm. you know? Exactly. So, you know, and it's, it, it's funny too because that rapport thing it's like luckily you know i've already had you on the channel we drop into each other's streams and stuff like that um you know i had somebody say on my last podcast they're like you seemed really nervous at the beginning and i was like it's not nervous it's it's it, there's a certain amount of time think about when you meet somebody yeah. for the first time you don't immediately yeah. click you know yeah, not always for sure there's yeah. there's like and you know this because you've been on tours when you go on a tour, by the end of the tour is kind of when you can say that you know everybody in that yeah. tour package and all that. But there's always one or two people from the beginning or first week, let's say, from that tour package that you're like, hmm, you're kind of like me. And you know that friendship grows throughout the tour. Yes. And then on the flip side of that, 
you also find out real quick who you don't want to be around. <laughs> yeah. I've had I've had tours where within the first week I'm like, I don't even want to be around that person. Like, yeah. you know, and touring is a lot of different personalities and a lot of different backgrounds. You're not going to like everybody that you work with on a tour. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. You know, and, and then I've been on bigger tours where like I did a tour in 2012 that was a touring party of 130 people. Wow. For, for the headlining band. That's not even the opener. What? For one the, band? Yeah, it was Van Halen. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a big still... tour. Wow. And and don't like let's not I was a fucking merch guy on that tour. Let's not get excited here. Like um well, that must have been tough though. It was well what I was gonna say is I got to know a lot of people on that tour, mm -hmm. but even by the final day, and it was like a five month run, I would still walk by people that are I'm like, I wonder what they do here. <laughs> like I didn't know who they were. That makes sense. That's a lot of people on a tour. Yeah. And and on a tour like that size too, um, everybody's spread out a lot. So like yeah. me doing merchandise, the majority of my time was spent in the concourse with the merch people. I wasn't with the backline mm -hmm. techs and stuff like that. So it's like, even though I knew who they were and I'd see them after shows and stuff, it's like, you know, the people that I got to know most were the people that I shared a bus with and yeah. people that I hung out with on days off and stuff like that. So, you know, sure. it's, it's, it kind of relates to like, you know, touring is almost the same as, um, like going to an AA meeting. It's like everybody oh. <laughs> assumes if you go to like, if you go to any kind of support meeting, everybody <laughs> assumes that everybody's there for the same reason and they're all going to be nice to each other and everybody's cool. And I had somebody tell me once a long time ago, they're like, dude, if you like everybody that you go to like an AA meeting with, you haven't done enough because just yeah. because people are in a room together doesn't mean they're going to get along, you know? So. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And you see this sometimes within a band dynamic as well. Um, not to say that there's animosity within the band members, but you do see certain people hang out with yeah. other people more so. Yep. And it's it's just because, like you said, different personalities. Maybe some, maybe two people in a band are like more introverted. They just want to play the show and then go on the tour bus and just watch a movie and chill. And then maybe two people want to hit the bar scene and like meet people. It's different dynamics, different personalities. And I think as long as you can respect that not everyone is like you and let them again it goes back to freedom to choose what you want to do and be who you want to be as long as there can be that respect from everyone i think a tour and a band can function really really well yeah um the problems would only start when you're trying to tell other people what to do yeah yeah <laughs> one, of the, one of the most awkward tours i ever did was um again we're not here to name and shame or drop names <laughs> but um I, I did this tour with this band where I didn't, unbeknownst to me, when I took it, there was a lot of drama going on with internally with, with the mm -hmm. band members. And it was very awkward every night. We, you know, they, they do media on the day. They'd act like best friends. They'd get on stage. They put on a killer show. And then yeah. the second the show ended and we'd get back on the bus, one of the members straight to their bunk. One of the other members lock himself in the back lounge. Wouldn't let anybody else back there. And then another band member is just like, you know, hanging out in the front drinking and like none of the band would talk to each other. And it's like, you know, that's that's one of the things I, I think people don't think about, too, is like you see that dynamic of the people on stage together and you see them in photos and videos and stuff. And you think they're all like everything's best perfect friends. and they're best friends. <laughs> but there might be a lot of drama behind the scenes, whether it's business related or personal related, like it gets it gets heated sometimes. Yeah.
No, I, I believe that. Yeah. I've seen it a few times, but when I hear these stories, it makes me feel like, oh, okay, we don't have real problems. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and it goes to what you just said too, like even working in um, country music with a lot of like the hired gun artists and stuff like that. It's like, while everybody gets along, you do see different people gravitate towards each other. So like on days off, I loved every crew guy that I worked with on my last tour. I really did. They were fantastic people. But on days off, you would definitely see that split where like a group of five would go off by themselves and then a group of four would go do their own thing. And it's like, you can learn to work around each other and be around each other and be fine. But, you know, sometimes there's just personalities that you can only take in doses. And I am yeah. fully aware I am one of those personalities. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> yeah. so. No, I th you know, and you know, it's actually really, it makes a tour bittersweet almost, in my opinion. Um, there have been some tours where like, I really bonded with someone from a different band or crew from a different band. Mm -hmm. And we were just like every day talking, uh, drinking, drinking, having a drink together. Um, <laughs> you know, having these deep conversations that mm -hmm. I love, because this is I think this is the thing with introverts very often. They don't like small, small talk. Yeah. Like I have zero interest to sit down with someone and be like, so uh, what do you do for a living? You know, and yeah. like that, that boring, superficial stuff. I'm like, let's let's get into the deep stuff right away. Mm -hmm. And when I've met people like that, where we can have a conversation where it's like, let's say we agree on eight out of 10 things. And then there's two things that we disagree on that can allow the conversation to actually progress rather than being like, oh my God, I think exactly like you do, mm -hmm. you know, that creates a, a very cool dynamic. So I've been on tours with people like that, that aren't from my own band. And it makes the tour bittersweet because like you're with this person for a month or two months, so much to the point that you think, you know, they're, they're one of your best friends in real life, but then you go back home and they're like in a country on the other side of the world and you don't have that day to day anymore. And you're like, wow, this is strange. <laughs> yeah. And I've, I've gotten jobs like that. I've yeah. had tours that I've done where I've wound up hanging out with like a support band or another headlining band's crew or something and mm -hmm. gotten to know them so well that months down the line, they're like, Hey, you want to come work for us? Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's cool. And on the flip side of that, one of the things that I, I ran into very recently, this made me think, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Like I, I kind of got very self-conscious of this. Um, so when the pandemic happened and we couldn't tour anymore, our crew kept up with each other pretty well for a while. Like we were playing video games online and you know, stuff like that. But after I made the decision when like, when the pandemic settled in and people figured out what they were doing business wise and shows were starting to happen slowly again. And I made the decision and told everybody like, I'm not coming back out. Mm -hmm. Like I'm staying home. Mm -hmm. I don't fucking hear from anybody in my old camp yeah. anymore. And my, I, it's funny because I'm like, I literally, I, I sat and thought, I'm like, okay, is this just that business thing where you really realize the music industry, you know, the music industry, no matter who you're working for in any given place, they like to make this, it's family. Mm -hmm. If you're on a record label, you're family. If you're working yeah. for a band, you're family. But then the second that you're gone, yeah, you realize it's not the family environment you thought it was. 
It literally is a job. And these were just your coworkers that you had to see every day. So mm -hmm. it took me a while to really realize that. I was like, yeah. am I the fucking shithead that nobody on this tour liked? And now that I'm not here, nobody wants to talk to me anymore? Or is this just normal work? Like, is this the, you, you quit your job and because you don't have to be around these people all the time. And the funny thing is I reached out to a lot of these, these crew guys and I really realized, um, yeah, there, there probably were a couple of them that it was different personalities. And we realized mm -hmm. if we didn't have to work with each other, we're just like, yeah. don't enjoy each other's company that much. But there were situations where like, um, you know, the guitar tech that replaced me on this tour was our second guitar tech on the other side of the stage. And I talked to him recently and he's just like, dude, we're just so busy. Like yeah. he goes, you know, we talked all the time because we literally lived on a bus together. So yeah. it's, you really do realize even in the music industry that it, it, it is at the end of the day, a job. And these are just your yeah. coworkers. Yeah. It's, it's a mix of both. And I think in order for a relationship to have a continuation, it requires effort from both parties. Nobody wants to feel like, Hey, I'm the one that all, that's always messaging you and hitting you up and you never reciprocate. And it just depends on people's personalities. I'm the type of person that I'm pretty shy. You know, I, I don't just out of the blue message people because sometimes I feel like, well, maybe I'm bothering them. And I know that's not the case. I know a lot of people would be happy to hear from me, but I'm like, I don't know, in my brain, I'm like, eh, I'm probably bothering them. But if I happen to be in the same room with them, like a year, two years later, since we last spoke, my feelings towards them are going to be the exact same. It'll be same. like a day didn't even pass. Mm -hmm. I've had that happen on tour. I've run into people I haven't seen in like three years from a previous yeah. tour that we just hit it off immediately again right away, even if we haven't yeah. talked. Yeah. I relate to what you're saying. I feel as though sometimes when I reach out to people, like I'm bothering them. Yeah. <laughs> I also don't want to give off the vibe that like... I'm reaching out to you because I need something. It's like the person that you never hear from. And then when you're doing a show in their hometown, yeah. Hey, I saw you're going to be here. Uh, you got a guest list. <laughs> I feel like that with, with bands that I toured with yeah. and I'm like, don't feel this way. This is stupid. They probably love to see you, mm -hmm. which is often the case. Like, I honestly felt like that too with you with like six cents. I'm like, should I message Tank about this or will it feel like I'm reaching out for self promo? And then when you hit me up, I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> for, you know, what's interesting you bring that up because I will say um, I've gotten used to the, I, I've gotten used to bands and labels asking me to check stuff out and that's cool. Yeah. But there's a difference and you can see it in people's wording in their emails or their voicemails. Like, you can legitimately see if they're like, Hey, we think you would like this. Would you like to check it out versus, you know, we don't care about anything else you're doing. We just want you to promo this band. And yeah. it goes the same with, um, sponsorships and endorsements and stuff like that. Like I, no joke. And I don't say this to, to sound like arrogant, but 10, 10 emails a day easily from random companies that are like, we want to sponsor your channel. Uh -huh. And the funny thing is you always know they're bullshit because they don't acknowledge you by name. Yeah. They don't really say anything about your channel. They just say, Hey, this is so-and-so we want to work with your channel. Yeah. Um, I actually, I actually had a funny thing <laughs> happen yesterday yeah. where a company reached back out to me and they were like, Hey, we were just checking in cause you didn't respond to our last email. Oh, and I, yeah. I didn't, I didn't recognize this, this company. 
So I searched in my emails and they emailed me six months ago and their email just said, hi, we're so-and-so. We'd like to work with your channel on sponsorship, blah, blah, blah. Let us know. And this might've been shitty of me, but I emailed this person back yesterday and I was like, the reason I didn't respond to you the first time is because you literally didn't tell me what you guys wanted to do or anything. You just said, let's work together. <laughs> then they email me back again. And it's like, well, yeah, we would like to work together. And uh, I emailed them back again. And I said, what makes you think that your product is a good fit for my channel? Mm -hmm. And I have not heard back. Because yeah. a lot of the times what these companies are doing is just going on like Social Blade and stuff. And they're just looking up numbers. They don't yeah. know what my channel is. They just want their product on a channel that gets views, you know? Yeah. So. I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't get 10 emails a day, but yeah. they come pretty often. And they're often from products where I'm like, if you send this to me, it's just going to go in the trash. Mm -hmm. Or it's going to occupy space in my house, which is already tight. And I can't, you know why would i do this and it always comes with strings too where it's like we'll send you this for free please you know incorporate it in your content why am i going to incorporate something i don't believe in or won't ever use yeah like that makes no sense the other the other problem too is that with the way that social media um advertisements and like you know influencers i <laughs> hate that fucking word but influencers <laughs> on TikTok and instagram these companies think that by sending something to somebody, they're just gonna do a positive review. Mm -hmm. And that is becoming a very dangerous thing. And I'll tell you why, and I haven't told anybody about this. Actually, a few people in my Discord know about this, and I was gonna do a public YouTube video about it, but I just decided not to. I had a label reach out to me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, we have this new band we're trying to push. Could you check out a reaction to it? I was like, yeah, I got time, why not? Uh -oh. Didn't like it. Mm -hmm. Didn't hate it. Didn't like it though. Like I, yeah. you know, when I listen to music, even if it's something that's not my thing, I always try and look for the positives in it. Like, does it have good mix? Is it, you know, will other people like it? Stuff like that. And to be fair in my outro, this video, I said that I was like, this sounded great. The video was awesome. For me, I don't like these lyrics. I don't like lyrical content that sounds juvenile, like a 14 year old wrote it. And that has like, you know, just shitty language and like misogynistic yeah. language. It's like, that's not my thing. I will say there's probably a lot of people that may like this. I don't. And I'll probably not listen to this band again based off this. But I watched the video back and I was like, okay, this is, you know, it, it's honest. And I was respectful about it at the end. So the label told me that if I did the reaction, they'd clear the copyright on it. Well, I sent it to him after I did it. The copyright never cleared. And when I sent them an email about it, I got a notification email that said um, a YouTube video has been blocked or whatever. So I go, mm -hmm. look, that video got blocked. Mm -hmm. So I reached out to the label and said, hey, uh, I just got a worldwide block on this. Just wanted to know what's going on because I was planning on releasing it anyways. And they basically said, this wasn't the reaction we were hoping for or the critique yeah. that we were wanting to be put out in public. So we don't want you to release it. And we blocked it. That's mm -hmm. fucking dangerous. Mm -hmm. Of course. Like, 
Uh, you are you are pressing all of my buttons right now. <laughs> like that's dude, that's getting into a territory uh. of 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 publishers and labels blocking the opinions of people that don't like the stuff they're putting out and only allowing the reactions that have overwhelmingly positive yeah. critique to be up. Yeah. Which happens in many, mm -hmm. many ways. It's happening in reaction videos. It happens on album reviews and single reviews and stuff like that. Um, it happens on both sides, you know. It happens on the side where it's like, and I went on a Twitter rant a few months ago. It was glorious. It was like <laughs> seven tweets or something. And uh, it was one review that I saw about REP with the agonist. And I saw a lot of shitty ones. Like there was one that said that on a product, even on a production level that our, our remake of Resurrection on this EP was the same as it is on five. And I was like, if you think that the production sounds the same on these two releases of the same song, then I'm sorry, you need to get fired today. You need to go <laughs> check your ears. <laughs> it's like night and day. Um, so th there were a few reviews like that, but I think the one that ultimately just really like pushed all my buttons was this one review from Spain that gave it like a six out of 10. And the guy was just saying that like my growls are great, but, but my singing is not too great. And it was literally that, like I did a Google translate, but then I also asked one of my patrons from Spain, cause I'm like, let me, let me trust the native, you know? Yeah, yeah. And he said, no, that's what he said, that your singing is bad. And I'm like, you cannot as a reviewer go out and say that my singing is bad. You can say this style of music, the choice of melodies isn't really for my personal taste, but you cannot go out and tell your readers that I am a bad singer. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna stand for this you should lose your job over this or you should get a notice or the editor of this i i i phrased it in like four i'm like a first problem the reviewer did this which is wrong b the editor proved it that's also wrong c there was a social media person on twitter that tagged me in the review to make sure i saw it like at any one of these stages this could have been fixed and it wasn't and i'm like your publication is a joke. I like straight up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it did not hold back because th this is sort of what I mean that it's like <sighs> with reviewers and labels, you know, controlling what kind of reactions they want and, and this and that. You're, you're putting out this piece of information that is incorrect mm -hmm. and it is swaying people into thinking a certain way. And that is wrong. Yes. And that and there's a there's a line that keeps getting crossed nowadays with reactions and reviews and anything in between of opinion and like objective facts. And I'm very mm -hmm. self-conscious when I listen to music and stuff. I'm very aware that music is subjective. And whenever I give a critique of something, I usually word it as in my opinion or yeah. something like this, because that's like whenever I, I this happens like once every time I do a reaction, somebody responds and says, this is terrible. And I was like, well, here's the thing. You're the only person that said that. So mm -hmm. you could say, Hey, I don't like this. Like, mm -hmm. this isn't my thing. That's, that's totally appropriate. Yeah. But to objectively say that this is terrible <laughs> when you're talking about art yeah, is just ridiculous. Like mm -hmm. I get a lot of people, um, 
I, it was funny because you bring up the singing thing because I see a lot of metalheads in my reactions that like when I do live premieres of reactions, if it goes from harsh vocals to clean vocals, somebody will be like, oh, I was in until they went to clean vocals. I'm like, okay, so you don't like singing in your metal. That's what it is. It's you don't necessarily think that the singer is bad. You just don't like clean vocals in your metal. Yeah. And that's totally fine. Exactly. Like I once was that 14 year old asshole that thought that metal had to be screaming in double bass and could be nothing else but then i grew up yeah. and you know. yeah. <laughs> so like yeah it's it's music is one of those things that's so wild it's it's so subjective but people people approach it in their opinions as an objective thing where they try and tell people that this is bad and the problem does become like you just said when it is a publication or when it mm -hmm. is a reviewer that people trust with their opinion yeah and they tell people this is bad those people don't need to hear anything else. If they trust that publication, they're going to say, all right, I'm not going to give this a chance. It's bad. Exactly. And yeah. I think, you know, there's there's a the choice of words where it's like phrase it differently. Um, this particular reviewer had no problem with singing specifically because I saw his album of the year was Halloween, the newest Halloween. A lot of singing, <laughs> a lot of singing. Um, but my immediate thought was, why is someone in your publication whose number one album is Halloween? Why is this person reviewing The Agonist? Dude, <laughs> I, I got a funny Halloween story for you, too. <laughs> this goes goes to what we're talking about. Um, yeah, yeah I, you actually, really quick, you bring up a good point. Then that could be somebody that just doesn't really like the melodic death metal sound and is purely in that power metal zone where they don't like anything else. I see yeah. that with so many different fandoms of music. Like um, there's a, there's another YouTuber that comes from like the hardcore world that his whole thing is like making fun of power metal and death metal and talking about how it's terrible. And I'm like, dude, that's fine. I get it. You come out of the hardcore world. Do you like your yeah. fucking crowd killing and, you know, stompy riffs and stuff? But like, you can't sit here and objectively say that these musicians in this power metal band are bad musicians. You mm -hmm. can't, they're, they're not. Yeah. Um, but metal, metal, power metal fans in particular get very defensive. Um, one, they think the power metal is the be all end all genre of music. Mm -hmm. And and this is coming from somebody that does enjoy a lot of power metal. Oh, um, as do I. <laughs> yeah. But, but two, if you say anything about those bands, you're immediately blacklisted. So, th um, and this goes to like my my personal music discovery on YouTube. I, I've discovered a lot of bands that have been around for years because I was so stuck in that, you know, teenage year listening. Yeah. So good example. I never listened to Nightwish, Sabaton, Blind Guardian, Halloween. None of those bands before I started YouTube. And okay. I love a lot of those bands now. Yeah. Um, but the first time I ever did a reaction to Halloween, it was a live performance of the song Halloween. Yeah. And it had like a four minute bridge of the guitar solos where they're <laughs> just going back and forth. And to me, I was just like, this is too, too much wanking for me. And, and I extrapolated. <laughs> I was like, what I mean by that is the guitar solos to my personal taste feel like they lacked an actual substance. And this was just a moment for the guitar players to show off how much they could shred. And yeah. that happens with, I mean, that's one of the reasons I, as much as I respect the guy, I've never gotten into a lot of the more modern uh, 
anything John Petrucci does because there are times where it's just like, bro, I get it. You can shred better than 99% of the people on the planet. Like, mm -hmm. give me something with substance. Yeah. And that's my personal opinion, you know? Yeah. I said that in that video, man. And dude, the power metal fans went from my throat, man. They were like, yeah. These guys are fucking legends. You cannot sit there and say that they're just wanking. And I was like, no, I, I don't mean wanking is a bad thing. That's just the term that we use to say they're they're showing off. They're just mm -hmm. shredding to show off. Yeah. It's not saying they can't shred or they're not good. It's just that's <laughs> what they're doing. No, I, I completely agree with you. And this is the thing that it's like, I'm in a melodic death metal band. But my influences are really like all over the place. Mm -hmm. I had a power metal phase. I could probably name 10 power metal bands that a lot of these power metal fans haven't even heard of. <laughs> um, like I, I went deep and like if Spotify existed back then, like 50 monthly listeners type bands. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> so I had that phase from like two, 2006 to 2010 maybe. And that's why if you listen, if you really listen to some some high note stuff that I do in the Agonist, for example, it is very power metal-y. Mm -hmm. um, and I only do it where the riff allows me to do it. I'm not going to start, you know, yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Um, but my point is that I have a lot of these different influences that if you don't have that open mind listening to this album, to, to, to the last EP, let's say, that I put out with the agonist, to allow all these different influences, I can see how someone would be like, oh my God, I love the low growls because I'm into like deathcore or whatever. But then the second she starts doing this like soft, poppy, whatever thing, that turns me off or the high notes turn me off or whatever. And it's like, it really allows for an open mind to be able to to enjoy this mm -hmm. and if you can't enjoy it because it's not your thing that's completely fine my only request is always you know don't come out and tell me that i'm not a good singer or i'm not a good screamer when it's like it's just wrong yeah yeah <laughs> you're wrong sure. you know <laughs> yeah no it's it's just I don't know. This is another thing I feel like I talk, could talk about forever. Oh. And I will say, for me, my musical taste um, was largely defined, for lack of a better way of putting it, by, like, the Gothenburg sound when I was younger. Mm. I'm a huge mellow death nut. Like, that's my thing. Same. Yeah. Like, <laughs> dude, when I, when I discovered, like, In Flames, Soil Work, At The Gates, mm -hmm. I mean, it, stuff like that, and then... Like, even, like, old-school Arch Enemy when Angela was there. When the first time I ever heard that, she, that might have been the first band that I heard that had, really? uh, um, wait. Yeah, Angela, sorry. Um, yeah. That might have been the first band that I heard. I think it was old-school Arch Enemy and Otep. Those were the two okay. first bands that I heard where I heard, like, a female growling yeah. like crazy where I was like, holy yeah. shit, like, this is a thing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I will fully admit that my wheelhouse in terms of music is mostly is influenced by a lot of melodic death metal and yeah. stuff like that. That's my, my go-to mm -hmm. now over the years, I've, I've felt it change. Um, and since starting YouTube, like I now love power metal and symphonic metal and st stuff like that. But the one thing that I found myself growing out of that I used to love is metalcore. 
Like <laughs> I am not really a massive, you know, there's a lot of reactors on YouTube that metalcore is their wheelhouse. Like that's yeah. anytime a new metalcore band releases something, they're all over it. And it's been hit or miss for me, man. There mm -hmm. are some bands that I like that are, that are, that I think that are doing really good, but right now there's a, there's a couple genres of music where everything that's coming out is starting to sound too much of the same thing. And that sounds so funny to say out loud because when I was a kid and I listened to metal, everybody's like, it all sounds the same. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm right there with you. Uh, this um, is insane how much we're we're kind of like started from the same like yeah. Like I, t I told you about my power metal phase, but right before my power metal phase was my first phase: Swedish death metal, melodic yes. death metal scene, In Flames, Dark Tranquility, At the Gates. Those were like my my top three at the time, and those were the bands that actually got me enjoying screaming because when mm -hmm. I first heard it. Oh, I will throw Opeth in there as well, oh, although yeah, they're more on the sure. proggy side. But yeah. um, those were the bands where I was like, in the beginning, I'm like, I don't understand why these people are screaming, you know? Because I came from like new metal, you know, like yeah. Linkin Park, Evanescence, that style where it's like the crossover bands into this harsher sound. And I didn't get it at first. And I remember because of the screaming, I would play those albums while I was studying. Because I was like, if I can't understand the lyrics, then I can't sing along. So I can keep studying. It doesn't distract me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, that's when I started loving it. Because I noticed that there was a lot going on in the screaming. All the melody was in the music. And the screaming was giving me something else. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of passion in these people's voices maybe the technique wasn't what it is today and this is this is my problem with like metalcore deathcore like newer genres of music where it's like the screams and the technique is so up there but i'm missing that raw emotion that these old swedish mellow melodic death metal bands gave me where it's like this guy sounds like maybe he lost his voice after recording this album yeah. but man i believe every single word <laughs> yeah yeah for sure and it's funny you say that because one of the legendary Swedish bands that I somehow missed up until I started my YouTube channel was Evergrey. Oh, and, dude. And yes. I, I love Evergrey. I love Evergrey. Um, <laughs> and I had Tom on for an interview and talked about like the formation of that band. And he told me he, he was never going to be a singer. He's like, we had a different singer. He's like, I was just going to play guitar. But he goes, the day we went into the studio, we, we got like, you know, a phone call from the guy saying he didn't want to be in the band. So he's like, I went in there to yes. sing. And he goes, yeah. and he goes at the time, he goes, I had no idea how he's like that first Evergrade release that we did. He's like, I was in there with no breath control. I was screaming my voice out. We would have to take days off because I couldn't do it. And I was like, that's it, it's so crazy to hear that because like you said you can hear something special in the emotion of the voice even if that technique mm -hmm. wasn't there um yeah. super early in flames is is the same way like yeah. you know anders's voice on that early stuff and Oof. then michael <laughs> from dark tranquility and i mean just i love that stuff and yeah you know for metalcore and deathcore nowadays it really takes something special for me to really latch on and yeah. i i feel like i've been being unfair because there is a lot of metalcore i still listen to yeah but but it is a lot of the new stuff that comes out i'm just like wow oh, this you know kind of it sounds like this like, could have been this other band yeah and then deathcore 
I've said this a million times too, and I I don't think you lived in Chicago at the time, but around the late two thousands, when oh, Deathcore yeah, yeah Deathcore started becoming a thing, dude, mm-hmm. the Chicago local scene had a ridiculous Deathcore scene. Oh, I did um, not know that. Dude, Oceano came out of there and oh, then early yeah. early Vale Maya. Like those guys were yeah. at, the, at the old school mojos back in the day, which is the Forge now. The Forge. Um, and, you know, it was cool and it was new, but now every time I hear a deathcore band, I was like, man, this is all like just breakdown, 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 guttural, guttural, yes. guttural. Like, Yes. But now there's some really great <laughs> bands coming out from that scene that I'm really latching on to. Yeah. Uh, Lorna Shore, which we've already talked about, is is one. And they have a lot of other elements. They have the symphonic and the black. And, and, yeah. Um, yeah. But one of the newest deathcore bands that I ignored forever, I'm not going to lie, I, I saw everybody talking about them, but I assumed that they'd be the same as everybody else, is Brand of Sacrifice. Ah. And then when I listened to their album, I was just like, holy shit. Like, okay. Yeah. This is new and this is different. This is yeah. more than just, you know, nonstop drop tuning <laughs> breakdowns. And, and yes. don't get me wrong. They have a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is where we, we've had the conversation about on my channel about um, Slaughter to Prevail, which I would argue is probably one of the biggest deathcore bands right now. Everybody's into them. Yeah. And a lot of the focus is put on Alex Terrible, their singer, because he just has that unruly low growl. Low voice. Yeah. Um, and it attracts or it, it deflects a lot of the attention from the rest of the band, because while Alex is the face of the band and he does have a a ridiculous voice, the rest of that band is really good. Mm -hmm. And in terms of vocalists and their versatility and their skill, Alex can do mids and highs and stuff like that. But to me, there's so much reliance on that low guttural that when I hear people talk about slaughter that's all they talk about yeah they just talk about how low his voice is they don't talk about the music they don't talk about anything else and i do love him as a singer i love their album i have his fucking mask on my wall (laughs) um but this is why i'm gravitating to bands like lorna shore brand of sacrifice uh shadow of intent you're getting these vocalists that are like swiss army knives in terms of their skills and what they're doing along with just badass musicianship and i'm i'm mm-hmm. really loving this little wave of deathcore we're getting right now i do like the symphonic elements mm-hmm. in deathcore like you mentioned shadow of intent um i've liked that band since the previous album that they did and i know that they worked with uh francesco from flesh god apocalypse that did mm-hmm. their orchestration so everything that guy puts his hand on is just turns to gold yeah um so i do I do like, this is always my thing. I was never huge with like the whole symphonic female fronted sound where you have the symphonic elements in the music and then you have the very sweet feminine voice all throughout the track. That was a little maybe too soft for my own taste. But when you bring that symphonic element into really heavy music and really heavy vocals, it just balances out for me and adds this musicality that's maybe lacking because the music is more like rhythmic and more punchy. So it, it makes it sound more melodic. And I do really like that. Um, I guess it just, when it comes to, to my musical tastes, I can listen to any genre of music really, when it gives me a variety of different emotions and it can take me through a roller coaster. We can go from like a soft, very delicate part 
to a really aggressive part and everything in between. So if I'm listening to a song that's always on 10 or like breakdown after breakdown after breakdown or no, no high energy, it's just like soft and mellow all throughout. It just doesn't really pull me in, you know? Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I, to be fair, I will say there is a time and a place for me for breakdown, 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 breakdown. <laughs> it's usually the gym. Oh, but there, there are, there, there are times where I do definitely enjoy that shit. But again, it goes to what you're talking about is that, um, that mental and emotional place that you're in when you want to hear something, um, for sure. you know, you know, that, that shadow of intent album, the last one they just put out and the one before it are just, I mean, start to finish, just incredible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then even Lorna Shore's previous album, uh, previous album, Immortal. I listened to that album way more as the instrumental version than the actual one with vocals. Because instrumentally, it is just unreal good, in my opinion. Oh, I didn't know that it existed in yeah. instrumental form. Well, I think that's, and we don't need to get into this because this is old news, but yeah, after they kicked out their old singer they convinced Century Media to put it out instrumentally. Okay. And I personally, I like that album more as an instrumental. I'd be curious to listen to that. I'm going to yeah. add that to my list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 great. I mean, even the, the track Immortal by itself with no vocals is just like, I mean, you, you talk about emotions with music, even with no vocals, it, that that one's like a roller coaster for me, and that's what I love about that style of music, you know. Yeah, yeah. So for sure. Well, man, we've we've been here for a while, but I, I know. You know, I feel like we could keep going if you're just a little bit. If you're cool, I'm totally cool. Okay, cool. I mean, I'm I'm good. <laughs> all right, buckle up, everybody. We're getting a long one today. Yes. Um, so one of the things that I've always been, you know, curious about, and. I just, for people that are listening, I kind of brought this up to you before we started because I didn't want to put you on the spot with anything, but you, um, I want you to approach this more from maybe less your ex exact, um, experience and position and more of just as a musician, but you joined a band being the agonist that was already fairly established. And I kind of want to know what the psyche and the mentality of of coming into a band and replacing somebody that was already pretty well known. Because what I've noticed with music lately is it's almost the opposite of sports. Where people with sports are diehard for a team. They don't care what players are on that team. They just love their team. There's a lot of people that are diehard for just individual musicians. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to know the mentality of like, you come into a band you replace somebody that's already been there. Did you encounter any immediate backlash and people writing you off just because you weren't the person that they're used to? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. that's not just my personal experience. I think that happens with any, any vocalist swap. Mm -hmm. It has to be a vocalist swap. If you replace your drummer, your bassist, your guitar player, there are a few, you know, obsessed fans that will be upset over it but very few yeah it's really when you're changing your vocalist where shit hits the fan you know yeah and i think there are certain bands that handle it handled it really well and other bands that didn't handle it well and i can tell you about a band that handled it both ways uh nightwish handled it poorly the first time around yeah 
excellent the second time around. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I think people are just, people love what they know and they don't want change. Most people don't want change. Not even when it comes to the voice changing, even same, it could be the same lineup. Band decides to, to change their genre a little bit, do something a little bit different and people complain. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like a lot of fans want to keep you all to themselves in a sense where it's like, this is the version of you that I grew and fell in love with. And I don't want it to ever change. I don't want you to, to become bigger. I don't want you to, I don't know, leave, leave the nest and fly almost in a sense. And it, it's a bit toxic that fans view certain fans view bands that way. Yeah. Um, because you know, that music still exists. You know what I mean? Like if a band changes their sound and, and does something different or changes a vocalist or all that, those albums still exist and you can always go back to them and listen to them. It's not like they took them away from you. And, um, I think ultimately that's all it is. People don't like change at the end of the day. I think maybe I'm wrong, but I think a change in genre with the same lineup will push away more fans than a change in vocalist with the same exact music. I mean, that's, that's a good point. I can think of a lot of examples off the top of my head. Um, you know, really quick before we get into that though, you yeah. know, just in, in your specific situation, I imagine, you know, when you got the gig, obviously you were super excited, but like, mm -hmm. was there any kind of just, I wouldn't necessarily say depression, but was there any bummer, like, you know, having to be the person like, cause the rest of the band lineup was the same, but you yeah. had to be the person to come in and fill the shoes. Was there any kind of like bummer moment where it was like, you know, you had to overcome the obstacle of not feeling like you were going to live up to fans expectations or anything like that. I think my biggest, um, issue maybe looking back was that I, I didn't care as much as I should have. Um, I wasn't a fan of the band. Uh, I, you know, I'm just going to flat out say it. I didn't, I didn't like what they did as a whole in previous albums. I felt it was too all over the place too too chaotic. There was nothing gluing it together. And personal opinion, of course, some people yeah, yeah, yeah. enjoy chaos, but I felt like there were a lot of missed opportunities in the instrumentals. Like you just mentioned, listening to the instrumentals of that album, you liked it better than with the vocals. And I felt similarly about a lot of stuff in the Agonist Soul music. I felt that the vocals sometimes were doing exactly what they should be doing. And sometimes I'm like, these words and these rhythms don't fit here. And I think that's what a lot of people liked. They liked that chaotic sort of all over the place vibe. But to me, it was very unmusical and hard to listen to. So I think when I joined the band, I liked what it could potentially become. I was like, oh, I like these chord progressions. I like this vibe, you know, happening in these riffs in previous songs. If we bring more of these elements with my voice and my style of songwriting, I can create something that I also love because I didn't want to join a band that I didn't like their music, you know, mm -hmm. that would have felt, I felt like I would have been unhappy, you know? So I saw, I guess the potential in, in the songwriting, um, 
but I think I didn't care enough in the moment to be like, will fans accept me? Will this be okay? I need to step up to the job. I honestly didn't care as much as I should have. And in retrospect, maybe I should have a little bit more. Yeah. It's interesting because I ask this question not to put you on the spot or I know. <laughs> we 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 know that we know how people on the internet get. They like to cause drama that's not there. And that's not what I'm trying to do. I really yeah. wanted to ask this question because I, I want anybody that listens to this to kind of put themselves in these musicians' shoes in the future. Because we've seen this a lot lately. We've seen this a lot with member changes and stuff like that. And I think people's gut instinct to that change that they don't necessarily want because it's a band that they loved and they were used to is that rather than giving a, that person a chance, they come into the new lineup with the uh, impress me mentality. They're like, yes. you're, you're never going to be, you're never going to fill these shoes of this band that I loved until you give me that reason to believe that. And I will say we saw that with Will from Lorna Shore. Uh, there were, dude, that guy, in my opinion, one of the best in that deathcore scene right now. But when he first joined, even though their old singer got kicked out because of mm -hmm. personal stuff, there were people that were like, there's no way that this new guy is ever going to be able to do what the old guy did. Yeah. And to me, if I were that new singer, if I were Will or anybody else in this position, I would just, I feel like I would be so mentally overburdened that like, it's like, the pressure it's like nothing i do is going to yeah. please anybody so I, the reason i ask that question is because i want people that hear this to think about that when this stuff happens because yeah these aren't just artists these aren't just musicians these are humans <laughs> that yeah, have emotions but do people really care about our feelings you know <laughs> yeah. they just they're like give me what i want yeah, give me yeah. the exact musical piece that i want yeah. you know they don't care about our feelings but this is interesting that you bring this up though because it goes back to the thing that i said where it's like it's the music the style of music change that pisses fans off yeah because i think will is widely accepted right now because for sure they lauren ashore just kept doing what they were doing and he's exceptional at that yeah you know and he's he's pulling it off in a live sense too so no one can doubt him mm -hmm. um in the Agnes case, it's a little different because I didn't like what they were doing before. Yeah. So when I came in, you know, the band too, and maybe this was the band's mistake, they wanted to change the music too. They wanted to tone it down a little bit. So what I received as an instrumental was a toned down version of the Agonist. I can't make it what you, the fans loved because this is what I have to work with. Yeah. And this is what I'm, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I didn't mean to cut you up. Do you guys do you good. guys play any old songs live still or not really? Uh not we won't be on the upcoming tour. Uh but we every tour we've added, you know, one or two or three songs. Yeah, just still just tour. old fan favorites just to make everybody happy. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> you know, the, but go ahead, this, sorry. No, it's all good. But for this next tour, we only have thirty five minutes and we're sitting on two releases that haven't really been toured. So yeah. we're only going to be playing songs from those two releases. Yeah. And that's it. That's a good call. I mean, nobody, you know, yeah. this is the first time people are getting to see you in two years and nobody's heard them live yet. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's funny that you bring up the genre change. Cause there's quite a handful of bands I can think of right now, bands we've already talked about. One of the big ones, which I've never understood this personally, um, in flames. It was <laughs> when, when they went through their early, their nineties and early two thousand cycle music, mm -hmm. 
it was about the time that like reroute to remain and then soundtrack to your escape came out i saw my my like mellow death and death metal fan friends immediately turn on that band like they, they don't fucking stay fucking sound mainstream now and blah 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 little and, did they know <laughs> yeah the crazy thing is these bands don't want to be underground bands their entire careers i mean reroute to your remain for in flames catapulted them yeah i mean blew them up huge to the point where cloud connected from that album is still one of their biggest songs to this day and that's a good song that's it why is. i said little did they know because yeah. i think it was come clarity maybe that mm -hmm. was sort of where i was like this is good i like this but anything after that sort of left me a little bit come clarity wanting. was interesting yeah come, come clarity was the one for me as a fan that i was like okay i hear the change and mm -hmm. then the next album after that, believe it or not, I actually liked more than Come Clarity. Oh, you liked, okay. Wh which was uh, Sense of Purpose. Yeah, I don't remember really enjoying that too much. Maybe I need to give it more listens. Yeah. But well, my it... point being that the people that were complaining a few albums back, little did they know how much it would change later on. Yeah, it, okay. That's a great point because, <laughs> and now you look at In Flames and in terms of original lineup, two dudes like um have you have you listened to the the two releases from the halo effect i heard the one okay i didn't hear the second one dude i'm so to. i'm so excited about this band because i mean it basically is they're more in flames than in flames right now and i don't say yeah. that to be mean it's that's literally fact yeah. i mean you know the founding member of in flames was jesper that was his solo side project he started that turned into a band yeah and i won't say they weren't the same after he left but i mean you can hear the difference one of, of the other big genre changes i remember um fuck, i can't remember the name of the album but the album that came after meteora by lincoln park that caused an oh. uproar <laughs> Yes, of course. That caused, I mean, everybody yeah. that was all about Linkin Park was all of a sudden like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, myself included. <laughs> oh, I, so that album, I, oh, let's, I'll be honest here. That album for me, there were like three songs that I was like, hell yeah, this is Linkin Park. And then the rest of it, I was like, they're going a different route here yeah. for sure. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. And, and for me, a lot of bands that did that and, you know, it wasn't my thing. I just stopped listening to Yeah, yeah, for sure. Not in general. I'd still listen to the stuff I enjoyed. But you know, I didn't go all over the internet and, you know, yeah. express how how upset I am. Yeah. Um I think if a band wants to do that, let them do it. And then yeah. fans will react the way they want to react. I think I think too at times, and you could say this as somebody that's in a band, like it almost might be a sense of boredom. It's like all these people expect the band to keep doing the same thing, but maybe the band is getting bored doing that and they want to try something new, you know? Yeah. Like, I, mean, I can tell you with The Agonist, for example, I don't know... Like, I know my bandmates to this day, and I know them all well as individuals, and we, we get along. We have a good dynamic, but I don't know what things were like before I joined. There's no way of ever knowing, right? Yeah. I wasn't there. But I do know that they felt that the music was a little bit too chaotic. And like, especially an album like Lullabies, um, you know, Simon told me that everyone just pushed their playing to like 11, where it's like, it was just like, he said that he felt with his drumming that he was just like, 
the overconfident teenager that went in the studio and played the most difficult shit ever. And a lot of it didn't make sense. And, you know, the seasoned musician that he is today looks back and says, that was way too much. I was dumb. Like, I was stupid. Why did I do that? You know? Yeah. So I think when I came in, being a different voice, being a different songwriter, um, being able to do in a, in the singing department, you know, a few different things that they didn't have before, uh, the band was like, let's take advantage of this, you know? So they wrote some tracks that were like, almost like more alternative rock too, in moments. Like if you listen to Eye of Providence and you listen to songs like As Above, So Below or The Perfect Embodiment, you wouldn't call those metal tracks. They're like rock songs, yeah. you know? And they're really good songs with my voice. It's just not what people wanted from the agonist. And I think that was just the band being like, let's try something different, you know? Yeah. And I think there was outside influence too. You know, there was people saying like, maybe you should go in this direction. Maybe you should try this. And I think the moment that kind of all stopped was right before Orphans where we were just like, you know what, let's embrace what made the band what made people love the band and do more of that, but do it in a more organized way with the vocals where it's not all over the place. And I think that was the album that kind of put us on the map again. And people that turned their back that decided to give us another shot were like, oh, this is the agonist I, I loved, you know, and remember. So that's kind of what brings me back to what I was saying, where it's like it's the genre change that throws people off and upsets them more so than the vocalist change. Yeah. And it's it, everything you just said is so interesting to me because, you know, what I hear too is, you know, for, for whatever reason it is, it's like bands grow as people, times change, new things happen. And I, I feel as, as, a, as a listener of music myself, it, it, it is a little unfair to me to just assume that a band is going to put out the same sounding album every time they put out an album, you know? Yeah. Unless you're fucking Slayer and you can just write a million thrash songs and everybody knows what they're yeah. going to get. <laughs> or, you know, like ACDC. Or... <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. When, what was it? Within the last few years when the new ACDC single came out, I remember listening to it and being like, I've fucking heard this song before. Like, there's no way this is new. And then I just realized that it's like, yeah, ACDC has that sound where it's like, even if you're hearing one of their new songs for the first time, it sounds like everything else they've ever done. And people still yeah. love it, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. when it works, it works. You know, I had a yeah. recent, sometimes I do this. Sometimes I'll go on Spotify and I'll listen to the uh, all new metal playlist mm -hmm. this, this week and see, you know, very often I, I like maybe two songs from that yeah. week. I'm very, I guess, picky. I don't know. But but two weeks ago, I think, there was a Skid Row song. <laughs> and I was like, dude, I like this. It was really good. It was like classic Skid Row. And it's um, new? It's new. I didn't even know they had new shit coming out. Yeah, yeah. They have a, they have a different singer. Yeah, they, yeah. I, well, Robbie told me they have the, the previous Dragon Force singer. Oh, they do? Um, I didn't even know that. Yeah, I didn't know that. See, I don't even know. I didn't know that Robbie's fucking doing Stuck Mojo. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I listened to it. So the production was, you know, a bit modernized, but it mm -hmm. wasn't 2022 modernized. It was just enough. So it didn't sound like it, it was recorded in the 80s. Um, but the, the song itself sounded like it was written in the 80s. And his voice was like 
up here there's no auto tune or anything like that so you hear a little bit of like that struggle when he's going for the high notes that just makes it very raw and very authentic and i'm like yeah. wow i can't believe in 2022 i'm liking a new skid row song i love that <laughs> it's funny because like anytime i check out a new song there's always somebody that's like is there auto tune on this i'm like yes there's fucking auto tune on damn near everything you're listening to and i'm not trying to say Auto-tune is a bad thing. It's the same thing yeah. with tracks. People have a really weird stigma with tracks for live bands where they're like, they're lip syncing and they're cheating. I'm like, that's not what tracks are. Yeah. It's the same with auto-tune. Like, when you're in the studio recording an album, you want it to be perfect. You utilize mm -hmm. all the tools that you have to make it sound polished and good. And what I tell people is like, a lot of bands do use auto-tune. It's not something mm -hmm. that they're relying upon to make the singer sound good. It's just something that the producer or the engineer is doing after the fact to just yeah. polish it. That's all that is. But I'm very intrigued that you said that because I love that rawness in the voice when you hear yeah. stuff like that where there's, you know, um, somebody See, the other day also asked yeah. about, what, what were you going to say? No, 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 go ahead. Oh, I will so, add once you're done. Okay, somebody the other day <laughs> asked, uh, is auto-tune ever just purely used as an effect? And somebody said, like, T-Pain, and they're like, yeah, 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 that's hip-hop, though. Like, in metal, have you yes. heard any bands that use yes. it as an effect? And I'm like, yes, but the only band I could think of off the top of my head that uses it as an effect at all times was um, Icy Stars, metalcore band from oh. Detroit. Like, th I mean, it's there all the time. Yeah. And it's it's and it's done on purpose. It's blatant. Like you can, it has that yeah. almost T pain effect to it. You know. Yeah. Well. Well. So these are my feelings on auto tune. Uh, I'm not necessarily against it. it. It depends on the case. So, like one band I can think of, for example, not all the time, but like Amaranth, for example. There are certain parts where oh, they yeah. have it a bit heavier on Elise's voice for the effect. But we see Amaranth live and we see that this girl can sing. Mm -hmm. She doesn't need it, you know. So I think my opinion when it comes to autotune is like, does the singer need it? And a lot of these metalcore bands, unfortunately, I'm not going to name names, but they need it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've gone, a band I liked. I was like, I like this band. I like this song. Let me go check a YouTube video. And the singer is like missing like 80% of the notes. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even saying like, oh, he was a little flat or sharp there. I'm talking about like, this guy can't sing, you know? And then and then to the point where <laughs> you'll, you'll go see him live and they'll do it like an octave lower because they can't naturally hit those notes. Yeah. 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 It's, it's bad. And that bothers me because it bothers me from like, a, you shouldn't even be here there are other people that can sing and you're taking their spot in a sense. Mm -hmm. And when we don't address this, it bothers me because we're pretending like a problem isn't a problem when it is. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to go back to this, but I'm going to mention something that I saw recently. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this TV show. It's an Amazon Prime special. It's called uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yeah, we watch it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, Have you yeah. seen the last season? No, we haven't. Ah, I don't want to spoil it now because you watch it. Uh, I mean, we have a one-year-old at home, so it's kind of hard to find the time to watch full seasons of stuff now. Yeah, well, there's this one part where this is addressed. Um, it's it's Abe, uh, which is Maisel's dad. 
and he's a journalist and he went to see something he didn't like and he wrote his honest review about not liking it and everybody attacked him they were in church and everybody attacked them him like you don't do this you don't you know he was one of our own blah 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 and this is betrayal and he stood up and he gave a speech about he's like i don't want to live in a world where we pretend as if something is good when it's not to not hurt people's feelings and whatnot because it's like the money that was spent and the production and all that that went into this one project that didn't deserve it is being taken from something that does deserve it for sure and that's i was i actually started crying when that happened i'm like i cannot believe that a um popular tv show is actually saying this you know and i think it makes sense because um the writer of that show is amy sherman paladino which is um also did Gilmore Gilmore Girls and other shows. and Which we she's... also watch a lot. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> ah, so good. But I'm sure as a woman, she's dealt with that in her industry where mm. it's like, clearly she's a great writer because her shows speak for themselves. And she's probably had opportunities taken from her because something else that didn't deserve you know, it yeah. got funded and whatever. So I'm like, this is awesome that this is being mentioned in mainstream TV. Um, and that goes back to my feelings on autotune where I'm like, perfectly fine with it. If it's used like in a more modern electronic sounding song, you know, it kind of complements, it adds the effect. We know that T-Pain doesn't need it. He's a great singer. Oh, he's actually, I've blown so many people's <laughs> minds when I show them videos yeah. of T-Pain playing acoustic. They're like, what i'm like yeah he's yeah. really fucking good yeah yeah so so in those cases i'm like it's fine but but man when when the people that can't sing are using it and they're getting ahead it bothers me so much it you know where me. this is really bad <laughs> actually this probably won't be surprising fucking mm. country oh yes. dude i'll tell you right now i have no problem saying this because all the crew people used to laugh but we did a tour with florida georgia line like four or five years ago they have an actual vocal rack like on tour with them mm. that had i can't remember exactly what units i i, I want to say it was like melodyne has rack units or something but they had like four of them like just in case like you know one failed or whatever but they had it for both vocalists because they're just like let's yeah. be real here they're not that good they're great at writing songs they're great at marketing themselves and stuff like that but in terms of actually singing I mean, if they didn't have, I mean, they, I'm not, I don't care even if anybody I know from the country world sees this, but it's like, <laughs> even with those racks, they sound terrible. Yeah. Like, and that's, you know, again, that is a subjective thing, but let's be real here. You and I have been in the music industry long enough to know when we see something or hear something, if it's even worthy of being on the stage that it's on. And unfortunately, sometimes there are situations where the answer is no, it should not be there. Yeah. No. It shouldn't, but not a lot of people are willing to, you know, go out and say that. Like, if I come out tomorrow and I name drop a bunch of metal musicians that are just terrible, mm -hmm. they're terrible, they shouldn't be singing, I'm going to be the villain, you know? For sure. And, and, and there's there's a lot of yeah. politics that go into the music industry, yeah. too. It's like, yeah. as musicians and me, even as a roadie working for musicians... There is this kind of almost unspoken thing where we shouldn't be calling out other musicians over this kind of stuff. But at the same yeah. time, in my head, I'm like, well, why shouldn't we? Mm -hmm. Like, I 
would much rather appreciate the honesty in those situations and hearing the truth of the matter rather than just pretending something is awesome. Like, I can't tell you how many tours I've done, man, where I like, especially in the country world, because the country industry to me is a marketing machine. There's, it yeah. is the most soulless industry uh, corner of the music industry I've ever been. I mean, it's just like, everybody is just like this all the time. How are we going to yeah. make more money? That's all, that's all country is. Now, most of the country musicians I've encountered have started in very humble roots where they wanted to be like, you know, the next Garth Brooks or something like that, where they're, they're legitimate. Like, you know, Dustin, the guy that I worked for, for the last five years, grew up in a small town south of Nashville. He has a farm, literally farms his own stuff when he's not touring. Like he is a stereotypical country dude. Like he hunts, yeah. he fishes, he has a farm. But when I see some of the stuff that he would have to do in the industry because a label told him to, or management told him to, or something like that, I'm just like, dude, like, mm -hmm. I mean, it's like everybody in Nashville sacrifices what they actually believe in and like the roots of their musical taste and stuff just to make a fucking buck, you know? Yeah. And it's, it was, it was kind of soul crushing. Like I'm personally glad that I had the out when I did to not have yeah. to like tour in country anymore. Cause I was just so sick of the politics and the, you know? Yeah. And, and one of the craziest things is this doesn't happen so much in metal. At least I don't think it does, but radio runs country music. I mean, rate radio for metal right now, at least FM radio and rock is damn near non-existent compared yeah. to country hip hop top 40. Yeah. I have been told by people in the country market, like when we have radio backstage at shows, like I've literally been told verbatim, like, I don't care if that guy takes a piss in your work box, like you do whatever he asks for and whatever he says, because he's from the radio station here in Kansas city. They're yeah. the ones that decide if they're going to play our stuff. So we have to like put on a smile and suck up to these people. And I see the artists have to do it too. Like mm -hmm. it's, it, again, yeah. it, it's just a soulless part of the music industry. And I just fucking really do not enjoy it. Yeah. I don't, I think, you know, the bigger the genre, the more the problems. I mm -hmm. will say that the metal world probably doesn't have that crazy problems, but we do have issues like that behind the scenes where it's like, don't piss off the, the, the specific people because that could ruin your career. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a lot to you know it's hard to live by that rule because sometimes you're like man i don't deserve this as a person as an artist doing what i do i don't deserve this but you're just kind of forced in that corner until of course you can break out it's it's only when you become bigger than the machine that you're a part of mm -hmm. that you can come out and say whatever you want and there are a few artists artists that are doing that where it's like the people that hate them are thousands and thousands, but the people that love them are even more. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. But if you're a small artist and you're and you're witnessing this like unfairness that's happening, it's career suicide to speak up. You yep. know. Yeah. I mean, I would be willing to guess, and I I don't mean this anything against you or the band, but I'd be willing to guess at where you guys are at. There's probably not many situations where you could come forward and call out stuff that's happening behind the scenes where you wouldn't have really bad backlash. 
Oh, for sure. For yeah. sure. And like I said, if I came out tomorrow and I called out specific vocalists for cheating, I foresee, you know, a lot of people being in support of that and being like, good for you. And then I foresee a lot of people just being like, well, she can't even sing. So why is she even saying this? Yeah. You know, because people don't like my voice. But it's like at the end of the day, I wanted to say this earlier, going back to autotune, I have not once in my life used autotune. I have... I have pitch corrected my vocals, especially like when you have like 70, 80 backing tracks, you have yeah. to, you have to, otherwise it's going to sound like a mess. But I do that all myself and I don't let anyone touch my voice because the few times that I have, I have gotten this artificial too, too perfect result that bothers me. And I don't know a lot of singers that are like that, you know, a lot of them... They go and they record in studio and then they hear the final result and there's a little bit of auto-tune and they like it or they don't mind it. It actually bothers me. Yeah. Or they have a producer that is such a big name that they don't even want to argue it. True. Yeah. True. Yeah. But that is something that's like, that's a hill I will, I will die fighting on, you yeah. know? And uh, I think it's just because I, I go above and beyond to make sure that I can do these vocals. And that's why I'm on Twitch, for example, and I'm singing and it's like, oh, I missed a note here. or I missed a growl there because I'm not perfect. And there's always gonna be that one person or more that hear all these auto-tuned things and think that a professional singer has to be this perfect. Mm -hmm. And then they're gonna see me miss one note and they're gonna be like, oh, she's not that good. What's... And. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say that is the problem. And that, that's why that's why this is a hill, hill I, I will die fighting on because it's creating this unrealistic reality in a lot of people's minds. Um, and I've had young singers come onto my streams and they leave feeling a little bit at ease because they're like, oh, look, Vicky even make, makes mistakes sometimes. And I tell them I make mistakes all the fucking time. How am I going to get better if I don't make mistakes? I think the fact that I've jumped onto your stream so many times when you're recording something for like something professional that's going to be released where you're just yeah. raw sitting there doing take after take. And I personally think that's so cool because that shows that you're you're not giving that false impression of this is what perfection is like you're showing the people. Artists like yeah. um, Adam from Lorna Shore that constantly uh, Instagram live streams him practicing in his house and like fucking up his solos and laughing at himself about it. And then Dean from Archspire when he streams like, you know, making mistakes and laughing about it. And, you know, yeah. Dean had a video recently that I, I loved that he did. He got shit for it and I hate that he did. But Dean did a video where he talked about um, a lot of the YouTube videos that you see from musicians online nowadays mm -hmm. are giving the false impression of uh, perfection that like everybody you see is just so good. And what you have yeah. to keep in mind that when you see most, not all, and I'll, I'll say that because I know this for a fact, I've done bass playthroughs on my channel yeah. where, where I have been dead set on like, this is going to be one take. Like, you know, maybe I did that take like three or four times until I picked the right one that I liked. Mm -hmm. But this is one take. This is not edited audio that I'm just synchronized yeah. playing over. But Dean brought up the fact that he goes, a lot of these big YouTube musicians that you see, they're recording a perfect studio take and they're editing and they're doing all this. And then they're recording themselves playing over it. Mm 
-hmm. So you're getting this picture of absolute perfection yeah. where in reality, that's just not attainable for anybody in that moment. No. Like it's not going to happen. And he got into shit over this. Yeah, there were some people that got defense. What, what it was, was I think people felt that their intelligence was insulted. <laughs> and he got shit more due to the fact, not because people thought he was wrong. He got shit because people, I think, thought that their intelligence was insulted and were like, all right, oh, like, you really need to tell us this? We're not fucking idiots. We know. But the thing is... People don't know. And no. because I see this stuff with big, huge YouTube musicians yeah. where they play stuff and then all these people are like, see, he, he fucking does it like that. I'm like, dude, that's <sighs> super edited and he played over it. And, yeah. and a lot of these kids and young people that watch these YouTube videos look up to some of these YouTube artists and they believe every word they say. For example, yeah. and I've brought this up many times, Davey504, the bass player, he has like 10 million subs, like... And I don't question his authenticity. That dude is a ridiculously good bass player. But the majority of stuff that he does is slap bass. Mm -hmm. And he has this ongoing joke where bass players that play with a pick are like shitty. And he's clearly joking. But here's the problem that's created is that these kids that watch his channel have gotten so used to watching him slap bass shred all the time that they are now trained to think that only super shreddy slap bass mm. stuff is talent and people that use picks are fucking terrible and it's like Aww. it's it caused a weird problem yeah you know yeah. and it's nothing against davy i don't think he's he's intentionally caused that problem it's just that's how some of these kids look at that now they've become accustomed to seeing like this yeah. is how a bass player should play anybody else that's not doing this isn't as good yeah like you're influencing people whether you want to or not Yes. You know, and that makes complete sense. Um, you know, going back to this perfection on YouTube, I know I attacked this with like a lot of the one take performance videos that are coming out. And I can tell when it is a one take performance and when it's not, because I can hear mm -hmm. stuff from like the distance, my voice from the from the microphone, like people don't know this, like the Shure SM7B is a very low gain mic oh yeah so like you got to boost it all the way and i have seen one take performance soft singing on this microphone where the singer is like from a distance like this yeah and you can hear the breathiness when you're in close proximity yeah. in the audio and i'm like this is not one take because if the singer was actually singing from this distance you would not hear that close proximity breathiness yeah. That's impossible. That's, it, it's amazing. I would like to point out for anybody that um, doesn't watch this on YouTube and listens to it somewhere else, like you just moved your microphone like six inches away from where you've been talking the whole time and you can hear how big of a difference that was. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I had to get used to with this mic, which by the way, I meant to bring up, this is, this is because of you. Um, <laughs> the last time I had you on this channel and we did an interview, when I was editing yeah. that interview, I was like, how does she sound so much better than I do? And then I asked you what you're using. I, I now have a Black Lion Audio Revolution <laughs> because of you. One of the best audio interfaces I've ever owned. I went out and bought the SM7B because, and it's, it's that one I will say, it was because of that interview and you using it, but damn near everybody's Everyone. using this mic yeah. now. Yeah. Um, 
but I noticed it like right when I bought this mic because my old YouTube videos I had the um, the blue Yeti which is mm -hmm. you know you can set this here and go to the other side of the room and it'll pick yeah. up everything so I used to set it here and sit way back with this thing now I have to have the the input gain cranked yeah. because in my YouTube videos I usually film about like that yeah and I have to have it cranked otherwise yeah. it's not gonna sound like can hear the difference probably right now I'm like six inches away from the mic and you can hear it if I move up like this like yes yeah like so, the thing with this mic is when you go close you hear every mouth mm -hmm. everything that's happening in your mouth like the saliva moving yeah. you know and the breath and everything yeah so it's it's a great mic I love it it's yeah, actually yeah. great if you live in a noisy environment you know and you don't want everyone listening to the traffic outside your house or your neighbors or whatever yeah. you know there are uses for it and it's great for screaming um and i'm so happy that my suggestions helped you yeah yeah i <laughs> actually i th i think uh when i after i got the black lion revolution um mm -hmm. i got one of those like automated emails that were like hey we hope you're happy with your product give us any feedback or how did you find us i never respond to those and i actually responded and told them yeah. i got it because of you <laughs> Like, oh, that's so nice. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I mean, Chicago-based company, you know, they're yeah. they're great. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it's funny you say that, though, because because I do have to stay off my mic a lot. Yeah. I will guarantee you when I go to edit this podcast, it happens every time. I have to edit my audio. So when you're talking and I'm not, I'm going to mm -hmm. have to edit my audio down because you'll hear a dog bark. Or <laughs> if if Ingrid was awake... Dude, yeah. you'd be hearing her. Like my interview that I just did or my podcast that I just did with Joachim from Sabaton, there was one part where we both, like <laughs> we could hear Ingrid just on the other side of the door screaming, like pounding on the door, like, you know, Aww. and we both just had a good laugh because it's like, a, sorry, yeah. dude, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, that happens with me and my dog, uh, Oreo. Mm -hmm. Well, I have two dogs, but one is the noisy Pomeranian, Oreo, <laughs> yeah. and my husky ghost kind of just joins in if if there's a reason. Yeah. He doesn't bark unless there's a reason. You know, Oreo kind of barks at every little thing that's happening during the day. That's why today we, we haven't heard him because it's nighttime. Yeah, yeah. And he can't see the street, so if he doesn't see people walk by or cars, he's fine. But during yeah. the day, like when I'm streaming, it is... It's That's kind of how our dogs are too. <laughs> we have, so one of our dogs is like a 12 pound, like she's like Chihuahua. Um, she's Chihuahua, Lhasa Apso and something else. It's a weird, bizarre, oh, and like Poodle or something. It's it's oh. a bizarre mix. Cutest little dog. She looks like a little, I don't know. She kind of looks like a skunk, but. <laughs> and then our other dog is a German Shepherd Black Lab, weighs like 80 pounds. He won't nice. really bark at anything. But when Penny, the smaller one, gets going, it winds mm -hmm. him up. Yes. So it's like the same thing. It's like everything will be cool and quiet, and then Penny barks once, and Mowgli starts going apeshit too. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's same here. This is one of the rare podcasts where I'm actually in the same time zone as the person I'm talking to. Like the last few, dude. When I did it with Karan, eleven and a half hour time yeah. difference. Yeah. <laughs> like it was, yeah. I think um, when I had the interview with uh, Tom from Evergrey. I think I, I, I got up at four in the morning my time because it was like 10 for him or something. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. it, That's crazy. It's, it is what it is. I mean, yeah. it, it doesn't bother me, to be honest, and it's fun. I actually, it kind of makes for a funny story, you know? It's like, mm -hmm. it's like oh, you've and, had and your breakfast and coffee? It's four yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. And it's really cool that you're willing to do this, too. I love it. Like, 
exactly you're willing to do it's not just you're willing to do it you want to do it because yeah. you actually enjoy what you're doing and i think that translates yeah this i mean it's 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 a blast i mean listen i i've talked about it on my channel there are times where even just doing youtube content it gets stressful there are nights where i'm just burned out i don't want to do anything i don't want to edit i don't want to film my schedule gets behind but for the most part it's a blast and it's allowed me to not have to go on tour and be away from my family. Like, you know, our, ever since I've known Claire, I mean, she's, I, I, I think in the last two years of being home, I've spent more time with her than in the previous eight years we've been together because yeah. of traveling. Yeah. And I just didn't want to miss my daughter growing up. So YouTube, even though at times it does get stressful for me, it's allowed me to be home. Like, you yeah. know, so and there's there's a lot more that goes into it than just creating a video like what what other people don't see is like all that time that I do go through all my content you know you do content mm -hmm. like setting up for yeah. streams and editing videos and dealing with yeah. you know there's i mean people are like well what how much time does it actually take you to do a video it's like oh half hour to record a reaction 3 to 4 hours to edit then yeah. I got to upload it. Then I got to make a thumbnail. Then I got to do all the the um, description information. Then I got to send it to the label to clear the copyright. Then I got to read through the comments that I got all day. Like, I, I mean, I definitely put eight hours a day into this easily. Yeah. And yeah. people don't see that. Mm -hmm. I mean, they don't see it and they don't get it unless they do it themselves. Um, it's kind of the same thing with me and like with music. The actual recording of the vocals is quite short, you know, depending on the song that I'm doing and how many layers and backing vocals and stuff like that. But it's the rest that takes forever. And the more of a perfectionist that you are, the worse it gets. Because one thing that I have learned in the last two years where my workload just gets bigger and bigger, it's taught me to let go of certain things where I know that it's going to be the 0 0.1 or 0, 0.0 something of the population that will hear this or notice this, or it's just like, learn to let it go, Vicky, because maybe it bothers you, but you're probably the only person in the world. I relate. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I can't tell you how many times with even YouTube videos where I'm like editing information in, like I've gone on discord when there's people on from Europe or something with the time change. And I'm like, I just cannot find the information that I want to put in this video about this, like, pickup that this guy's using in this guitar. And they're like, dude, nobody's going to give a shit. <laughs> like, just skip it. Just don't, don't even put it in there. And yeah. for me, just again, as that like kind of perfectionist mentality, it's like, I will be upset if I don't get it in there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, and it's funny because I've had, I've had, you know, recently on YouTube, I, uh, I, I like took a full week off. I was like, I, I'm not doing anything for a week because I've never done that since I've started doing this. I needed it. Yeah. And I just made a quick video that was like, um, hey, just so you guys know, everything's fine. But if you don't like if you don't see any videos from me this week, nothing's happened. I'm fine. I just need to take a week off to get a breather and just mm -hmm. spend some time with my family, whatever. I had so many comments from like most of the people that subscribed to my channel were great. They're like, we get it, dude. Take a break. Take a month yeah. if you need to, which I would never do. But <laughs> I had so many random comments that were like, get a real fucking job. <laughs> like, you know, so. Yeah. It's, it's funny when you see those comments, you mm -hmm. know. I think I, 
I think I saw, uh, I can't remember because it's, it's a while, but I think someone criticized me once for like doing Twitch and Patreon and all that stuff. And kind of similar to get a real job or whatever. And in my head, you know, I'm, I'm similar to you. I'm not making like thousands, you know, I'm paying yeah. my bills and I'm, I have enough able to invest in my projects, which is, it's nice. It's liberating. I've never had this living off of music. Mm -hmm. And it just like, when I saw that comment, I'm like, I probably make more than this guy right now. And he's criticizing me. Yeah. You know? Well, there's, there's a weird stigma about content creation because like, you know, one of the things about Twitch, especially it's subs, donations, stuff like that. It's like, Oh, yeah. you have to ask these people to give you money. It's like, first of all, nobody's asking asking nobody's yeah. forcing our content is not paywalled you can come watch mm -hmm. my twitch stream and not have to be subscribed at all yeah people are doing and, it because they like yeah. the content you yeah know? and majority of people you know you think of like these big twitch streamers that have like thousands of viewers it's probably only like 20 to 50 people that actually pay mm -hmm. on that stream yeah. the rest are just there to watch for free and that's fine yeah. and that is actually what i love about twitch because I've always felt, I felt very weird about the fact of like creating content and keeping it exclusive for people with a su subscription. So it's like, I know you have a Patreon as well, and I do, and I do offer certain things there that are exclusive, but not the main stuff, you know, like I'm not going to write an entire song and keep it private on Patreon. Yeah. Like maybe I'll offer a teaser or like maybe an acapella version or the instrumental, but like, I want that final finished product to go and share it with the world for sure yeah patreon for me is like um my you know my first tier is like yeah for a dollar you get to see all my videos that are already going on youtube like two days before everybody else does yeah like i put the unlisted <laughs> link and then the next tier which is like five bucks is like okay you get to see my videos early and there's a private channel on my discord that you get to go in and i check all the time and you get to like i'll put polls up every now and then that you guys get to decide yeah. like what's our theme going to be for twitch reactions for the week and stuff like that it's like yeah you know no, most content creators aren't paywalling major content that they're doing and it's you know even yeah. when i started youtube i had that weird thing too where i was like this feels weird like like i had to get used to that like yeah. i still feel awkward here's a here's a good one for you and this is just how great people are so i you know i already told you if everything works out, nothing happens. I'll be guitar teching for Electric Callboy later this year. Mm -hmm. But what I realized is I want to do content while I'm on the road. They actually specifically told me we want you to be able to do content while you're out here because you could do like behind the scenes vlogs and working on our gear and stuff like that. But it hit me that like my entire investment in my content creation setup is right here. Like I don't have a laptop. I don't have... Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm using a webcam. I don't have like a nice, you know, yeah. camera to bring. So we were talking about it on Twitch one day and then all of a sudden everybody just starts donating and they're like, set up a little thing on the side for like a touring content creation fund. Yeah. And I'm just like, holy shit. And there were still people that shit on that. They're like, yeah, fucking, you know, get a real job. You're relying on other people <laughs> giving you their hard earned money. And I'm like, yeah, but they're, they're donating it because they're just kind people. I'm not asking or forcing them to do yeah. it. And it's not like you're taking that money and you're blowing it like on booze and drugs or whatever, like yeah. or 
going on a vacation, you know, yeah. like you're taking that money and you're putting it right back into the thing that they want, which means you're offering. More of it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's like whether people realize this or not, it's like you're offering a service to people. When you say, I've discovered so many bands from doing this, how many people have discovered these bands from you mm -hmm. doing this? Yeah. It's like, like I said very early on in this podcast, um, with reaction channels, I'm like, you guys are the news right now. Mm -hmm. You're you're yeah. better than a lot of these publications and yeah. journalism where it's like, especially the print, like I like to preserve it. It's nice if a magazine features you and you have that and you can hold it with your hands, kind of like with the physical CD and everything. But let's be honest, more people are watching videos, they're listening to podcasts. You're providing the service and you're providing it for free. So why is it a bad thing if someone chooses to donate? Yeah, a lot of print now too that I've noticed, especially in the music industry, because print, I wouldn't say print is dying, but it is becoming less consumed than video. Um, yeah. I saw recently, I got so excited. Uh, Blabbermouth did a piece on my podcast episode with Yo Kim from Sabaton, and I got super pumped about it. I was like, wow, this is really cool. They didn't mention me or anything, but and that's fine, but they mentioned him being on the podcast, and then they quoted him on a few things. I was like, this is really cool. And then I get halfway through the article, and I realize they turned the piece into a story on how Sabaton is trying to evade their taxes. And I'm just like... And this is what, and the funny thing is that whole situation for them was just a miscommunication. Like they toured in the U S so they paid their taxes here because the operation was here. And now Sweden is saying, well, you're from here. So now you owe us the taxes again, yeah. on, you know, something weird like that. But I realized that Blabbermouth and some of those websites, like not that it's clickbaity, but it's like, they got to have some kind of drama to the story to get people to get into it. Yeah, yeah, because people don't read it otherwise. Yeah, and <laughs> I've been I've been in their headlines a few times. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> you know, f fun story. I'm just gonna say. I mean, what are the chances that he's gonna see this or hear this? But I met um, someone from Blabbermouth on seventy thousand tons. I don't know if it was like an editor or actually the owner of Blabbermouth or whatever, and he was like. I hear you're upset with us, Vicky, you know, because they, they did something like that with me or they took mm -hmm. something I said in an interview and it turned out to be this big thing without more context. And, uh, you know, I fired back on my social media and all that. And, you know, a few months pass and we accidentally meet each other on the boat because everyone's on that boat. Oh, yeah. And, you know, as a joke, I, I had a lot of beers in me too at this point. And when I'm drunk, I'm like, I'm brutally honest. So there's anything you're trying to get from me that would be the time yeah. <laughs> so he's like uh yeah i hear you're you're quite upset at me at us you know and i just looked at him and i'm like upset at you i'm like well you guys just did your job and i'm like it is your job to just get clickbait articles so people can come on your website and so you can make money yes. so i mean you did your job yeah. <laughs> and he was just like kind of staring at me like did she really just say this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because it's like, we know. We know yeah. that's what they're doing. But yeah. it's like, I don't know if they don't expect to get called out on that or they don't think that people know that's what they're doing. <laughs> like, Probably both. I guess it depends. 
I mean, I think that would be a little bit insulting to people's intelligence to say that yeah. they don't know what this is happening. Um, sometimes they have serious articles, but those don't really get a lot of traction. No, no, not <laughs> at all. And it's like, I mean, that's why uh, websites like uh, Metal Sucks have thrived because every article that they have is just a shit show of like, yeah. you know, metal drama and what's going on and stuff like that. I'm not going to lie. I read that. I read that website a lot because I find a lot of what they bring up hilarious, um, especially when it's pieces on like the singer from Trapped going on another tirade <laughs> on a fan or something like that shit is. Yeah, there's so there's funny. some times where an article can bring us together. Yeah, you know, yeah. Where it's like, hey, we all agree on this. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just waiting until I I get to that level or status or whatever it is where it's like the first dirt piece that comes out about me on like blabbermouth or metal sucks or something. I'm just gonna frame yeah. it and put it on my wall and be like, I made it. <laughs> there, it's gonna come. Like I'm willing to bet, even in this conversation that we had and other conversations that you've had or on your streams, you've said stuff where it's like if they caught it. It would go up there yeah. and it would explode, oh there's for there's sure. past twitch streams where the second they're done i've had like one of my moderators on discord been like you should probably unpublish that vod just in case yeah and it's yeah. like I, and the, for the people that watch our channels they get our frame of reference they get our context when we talk about things but it's that it's that random viewer that'll come in and hear something and be like what yeah yeah, yeah that's that's exactly same same thing with my streams and it's an ongoing thing where like my regulars will just post something being like today on metal sucks vicky sarakis yeah. says this and this yeah w one time um my mod that actually uh, makes my emotes he actually photoshopped like an actual picture metal sucks article with like a picture of me and everything and i was like wow that's some dedication that's amazing <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 an interesting world, man. I mean, especially blending. I, I always I just I find the whole right now you're seeing more musicians than ever on Twitch and YouTube live streaming and stuff. And I, what you just said, like it's given you the opportunity to like invest more into your projects and stuff. I think mm -hmm. that's that's really what what people need to take from that, man. Like when you go yeah. on Twitch and you support like you see like Grant from Unleash the Archers streaming all the time and like you know, um, I mean, really, there's at least one member of any band on Twitch nowadays. That's what yeah. that does. That helps support them to do more of the music that you want to consume and stuff like that. Because yeah. the misconception is all these people in signed bands are making tons of money. And that's just not the case, you know? Not at all. And the money that I've made the last two years, just on Twitch, nothing else is more than I've made my entire career in music. I mean, I've made money from other sources, but yeah, just yeah. in music. And I said this on a stream, I'm not saying this to brag about the money that I made yeah. on Twitch because it's not a lot of money. I'm saying it to call out the injustice in yeah. like, why haven't I made this money in the last 10 years solely on how the music industry works? Mm -hmm. Like if I just show you my royalties, for the music that I write, that I own quite a la large percentage of because I write my own lyrics and my vocals. And it's like, I own a large percentage of this song and this is what I get every year from my royalties. Like that makes no sense. Yeah, I, um, I get it. So, I mean, I think it's great that there is a platform like Twitch 
and a few others that are helping creators in this way. Um, and another thing that I love specifically about Twitch is that there is no filter, no edit. Like, sure, you can go after the fact, unpublish the VOD, you know, nothing happened, but you can't edit it. You can't micromanage. You can't, that mm -hmm. perfectionist in you doesn't get the opportunity to show up. Once it's done, it's done. Yeah. And I think it takes a certain type of character to be able to go turn on your camera and talk to people and show that without being afraid. Yeah, it took me a very long time to get used to. I'm not going to lie. Like you can see it in my early streams and videos. Like if you go back and watch one of my early YouTube reactions compared to now, it's mm. almost night and day where you can I'm trying to think of one of the first big reactions. The first reaction that I ever had that really took took off my channel that got a lot of views was uh Hypa Hypa by Electric Cowboy. <laughs> But but you can you can watch and see how not used to being on a camera I was and it was very stiff and even the way yeah. I worded things and stuff and you know like we talked about earlier it's not that we're not being ourselves but there is a sense of you know that people are going to see this and if yeah. you're not used to it it's nerve wracking of course and yeah. it's still still to this day sometimes you know. Sometimes I start talking about something and I'm like, chat is like a little silent. I'm like, did I say <laughs> something bad? You know, and then I say that I'm like, wait, did you guys, am I upsetting you? And they're like, no, no, no. We're just like really paying attention to what you're saying. I had the same thing happen recently. <laughs> I totally relate. Yep. <laughs> and that's, that's refreshing to know. But I think this is the difference between actually being in a public audience where you can see people's reactions and their facial yeah. expressions can't see that so no, yeah you just see the chat that's it yeah yeah and it's funny too because the difference between live and and um editing a video i love the live aspect because like you said you can't fake that it's yeah. it's it's in the moment um but i've actually had people try and like expose me because like yeah look at this guy's youtube video it's like he, he's breaking down stuff and he's talking about gear it's like He's definitely watching this beforehand because when he does reactions on Twitter or Twitch, mm -hmm. he doesn't do all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, I don't do that on Twitch because when I do reaction streams, it's at the viewer's request and we're trying to get through as many as we can. Yeah. If I did my live streams like I did them on YouTube, we'd get through five videos in a two hour stream. Yeah. That makes so. sense because I imagine like there's stuff that you edit out. Like you probably start doing your like breakdown analysis and you have like a longer video and then you pick your favorite moments. No? I don't edit anything. Well, when you edit your video, I mean. Like you my leave YouTube everything videos? that you say in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your YouTube videos. When I do a reaction on YouTube, yeah. It's all one take. I don't edit anything out or stop or start or anything. Oh, so you leave everything that you say in there. Everything. There's nothing that like, yep. maybe you're like, okay, I said this, but it's not that important or relevant. I'm going to nope. leave it out. So what oh, okay. That's cool. It, it, it's well, I, I want, yeah. I want to say that to you out loud because I realize yeah. not a lot of people do this. Um, no, like, and I didn't mean it as like, um, I didn't mean it as like, oh, you said too much and you need to cut no, it down. No. I just mean that like, maybe there was some piece of information where you're like, eh, does anyone really care about this? Let me take it out, you know? So normally, so the way I film my, my reactions is I have three, three pieces of video. That's it. I do mm -hmm. an intro yeah. that I do in one take. Now, again, sometimes it takes me 15 Multiple. times <laughs> of doing it, but yeah. I always, it's one take, no edits. Yeah. 
Then when I film the reaction, I I click record, I press spacebar to let the video go, and everything that gets captured on the camera makes it into that reaction. Yeah. There might be times where, because a lot of the times when I talk about things, I extrapolate more with the like pop-ups and stuff. Yes. But if but in that case, if I feel like it's not something insanely important, I won't throw in more information. I'll just let myself talk yeah. and go, and then I film the outro. The funniest thing is when I started doing this on Twitch. Every now and then on Twitch, I'll record an actual reaction for YouTube mm -hmm. in the same way that I would do it as if I were sitting here by myself. So basically, oh, yes. it's I turn on Twitch, the chat's not on screen, nothing's on screen. It's like, you guys are just literally going to see me film a reaction process, for YouTube. Yeah. The last one I did was a, a newer Sabaton video and the intro was like 19 takes <laughs> like and, yeah. and the chat and going back in the chat. It's funny because they're like they're taking bets like in the betting system. Like, yes, how yes. many how many takes is it going to take them? But yeah, I always go one take and stuff like that. Okay. And that's why my reactions sometimes on average are like 15 minutes and stuff like that. But that makes. Yeah, that's I, really cool. The, you the reason the reason I do that is because I feel if there's no edits, there's less questionability to the authenticity of what I'm saying and how I'm doing it. Cause I watch, mm -hmm. I watch a lot of the reactions where people like every yeah. 10 seconds, cut, 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 like they pause and stop or they go back and stuff like that. So I, I prefer doing all of mine in one take with no edits just so what people are seeing is actually what happened in the moment 100%. You're not seeing anything taken out or cut or added or anything like that. Yeah. And again, it's because I don't want there to ever be any questions to the authenticity of what I'm doing. That's so cool. Yeah. It's stressful so sometimes. Cool. No, I, I can relate. I don't do reaction videos, but I can relate yeah. like going back to like when I was talking about like my process with like music and you know, not wanting to use auto-tune or anything like that. Like, I feel if you gave me the option to be able to, well, I mean, the option is there. I just don't take it. But if I decided to take it, I would lose that passion, I guess, and that drive to to want to be better at what I do and want to, like, this is me, you know, you're getting mm -hmm. me 100%, not an edited, filtered version of me. Well, I mean, it goes into this too. Right now, this is without a doubt probably going to be one of the longest podcast episodes i will ever have We're, we've been recording for over three hours nice. nothing's going to get cut out and who knows if people are going to even listen this long i guess if anybody's listening and you're on youtube just we'll, we'll put like a, a secret word in the comments type oklahoma in the comments to let us know you made it this far like you know what i mean good that's great <laughs> yeah but um but seriously though i mean this is the 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 range of stuff we talked about this not only has this been a great conversation, in my opinion, from just talking to you, yeah, but this really solidifies everything I've wanted to do with this podcast. Like we, we've talked about music and we've talked about the band and stuff like that, but we've talked about a lot of other stuff. We've talked about yeah. issues. We've talked about our thoughts on stuff. And that's what, what I want to do to set this apart from the interviews where yeah. you get the same questions, you know? And this is what people want too, I think. Yeah, I, like, I, I think so too. I, I think yeah. people would much rather hear your opinions and stories and experiences on things than just hear, mm -hmm. yeah, we recorded our new album at this studio with this guy and it was mixed <laughs> by Jacob Hansen and yeah. Yeah, no, so. for sure. And to, to, to add to that, I think the reason podcast form is growing over video form 
is how versatile it is in that you can listen to a podcast on the long drive. Mm -hmm. You can listen to it like while you're cooking or cleaning or whatever. Like you don't need to be glued in front of a screen watching something. Yeah. And I know like I don't listen to podcasts every single day, but when I do have one of those moments where I'm like, okay, I'm going to be in the car for a four hour drive. Don't really feel like listening to music right now. What's a good podcast I can mm -hmm. listen to? Yeah. I have, I have a handful of go-tos that I, I do that with. Um, Cool. You know, I haven't in a while because I haven't toured, but when I was on tour <laughs> every day, I used to listen to podcasts while I was like working on guitars and stuff. Uh, like Spit and Chicklets is a go-to because it's hockey podca podcast and I like hockey and stuff. But mm -hmm. I actually had the misconception when I started doing guests in like interview videos, I was like, people on YouTube don't have the attention span to watch long format videos. They just want a half hour. That's why like the last time we did an interview, it was a little shorter. Yeah. And then I started realizing people do want this long format because of the reasons you just said people that are driving people that are doing stuff around their house like they sometimes they just don't want to listen to music they want to listen yeah. to this yeah it's great yeah. it's super and cool I, and i can't thank you enough for having me like so early on too no i, I love it it actually <laughs> here's here's what's a funny thing and this is not why i asked you but i do want to tell you something funny okay. so my first three episodes dudes I started getting a bunch of comments from people that are like, yeah, when are you actually going to get some female representation from the music industry in there? And then in the last 24 hours, and this came together fast. You and I mm -hmm. talked last, from when we're filming right now, we messaged each other at about this time, 24 hours ago, like, hey, you want to do this? Now, I had already wanted you back on here, but in the last 24 hours, we've done this. I've got Sarah Blackwood from Walk Off the Earth coming on here. I've got Maria from Future Palace coming on here. And then I've got like three other holds from PR people on other like female musicians that are going to come on here. So it's like, all right, guys, you asked for less dudes. You're getting about eight women in a row now. So nice. It's, it's, it's Ask awesome. and you shall receive. Yeah. But, but I, I honestly like, you know, you and I have already had that rapport from doing one before and we've been on each other's streams. So I just figured this would be fun to... Yeah. You don't have people back. Um, Friday, mm -hmm. I'm going to be filming an episode with uh, Grant from Unleash the Archers. And again, that's somebody that's been on the channel. That's somebody who yeah. I talk to offline quite a bit. Like, it'll just be fun to do an episode like this of us just talking about whatever. Yeah. When there's that familiarity, too, I find it's it's a bit easier. And, you know, going back to something I said earlier in this conversation, sometimes two people just, you know, you just kind of know. Like that that thirty minute talk that we had, mm -hmm. I knew that like if you and I sat down, we could talk for like six, seven, eight hours. For you sure, know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's and it's funny now too because I'm gonna have people back that I um, early on. I had an interview with uh, Tom England from Evergrey, and mm -hmm. I was if if I go back and watch that interview now, I looked like a nervous, scared child Aww. because it was early on on YouTube. I didn't have yeah. that comfortability level yet, and it's Tom. So now I want to have him back for an episode of this, and we can talk because I feel like it will be vastly different from the first time yeah. because of not only we have that rapport, but I'm more comfortable doing this with people now. You know? Yeah. What if you What if you went back and you renamed that 30 minute segment of yours 
you called it something like breaking the ice or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a great idea. Yeah. That's actually, that's actually a really good idea. And it's like yeah. a lot of people have actually asked me to take those episodes and put them on like make them a part of this podcast but i was like mm -hmm. i don't want to do that because i want to i wanted this to be its own new separate yeah. thing it's it's its own branded thing and already it's been crazy i mean this will be the fourth episode that'll come out and from and this doesn't even include youtube this is just from the analytics from the podcast end of it there's already like people from like 30 countries listening and there's been like so many downloads it's just it's it's exciting and it's cool yeah. like I never in a million years would have thought that anybody would have cared about anything I would have to say on this kind of level. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, I know. I know all too well what that feels like. Yeah. It's so, it's nice. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, we have been here for almost three and a half hours. This was fantastic, yes. though, to be honest. I, I, it does not feel like that long. Um, no. But for you guys, um, with the Agonist coming up, on tour at the end of this month, you guys have mm -hmm. the Juno Awards coming up. Best of luck with that one. And Thank even you. if you don't win, I mean, congratulations. Being nominated yeah. for something like that is awesome. And then uh, for everybody that's listening, I would highly recommend checking out Vicky's other band, Sixth Sense. You'll be able to find a reaction to that on my channel very soon. Oh, I, I can't wait to see what you guys do with that because <laughs> that's going to be super, super cool. Awesome. And um, and also, uh, for those of you checking this out on YouTube, I'll throw links to Vicky's Twitch and social media and all that. How often How often are you streaming? You're on there pretty frequently from what I see. Yeah, I've been doing uh, three streams a week. So Monday, okay. Wednesday, Friday. And when I'm at home, they're pretty like specific. Like Friday nights are always my performance. Like come and request a song from my list, original covers, anything. And then the other two have just been kind of random, like maybe today we're recording, maybe we're practicing, maybe we're watching videos. I'm not actually like a reaction channel, but sometimes I share my opinions, yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but just because of the tour now, all of my like my Monday and Wednesday streams have been like tour practice. So today, for example, before this interview, I went on Twitch for two, two and a half hours and I practiced our set. Nice. Yeah. I wish I would have saw that actually. I was probably changing diapers and feeding Ingrid. <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> yeah. but. but that will be changing so like every time because when i leave this was like you know how you were talking about your your tour setup yeah yeah mobile setup yeah so i've been like slowly investing in that so my first thing was i got a new laptop like six months ago um so i am going to be streaming from the road so awesome. that's exciting very yeah. cool well, I'll make sure all those links are in the description of the video for everybody to check out. And again, I cannot thank you so much for doing this. This was just fun to just sit down and just have more time with you and just talk about yeah. a lot of random stuff. <laughs> Same. So, well, best of luck on the tour. I hope you guys stay safe and everything goes well. I'm going to try, I think the closest date to me is somewhere in Georgia which is oh, kind of a drive, but... That's pretty far, isn't it? Yeah, if I know, and it's not even Atlanta, it's like Jonesboro, which is even further, yeah. so... But if I yeah. if I find one that's, like, way closer, I'm going to try and come out and see you guys for sure. And then right. when I'm in Joliet in, yes. I think it's October, I will hit you up, and I would love to have you and Robbie out to come hang on that date, too. Yeah, I mean, if I'm in Chicago, anytime you come anywhere near close, I'll definitely... We'll definitely be there, so... For sure. Awesome. Yeah. Well... Thank you again. Have a wonderful, wonderful night. And I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thank you so much. This All was right. awesome. See you, Vicky. <laughs> Thank you again. Bye.
longest podcast episode ever. That was fantastic, man. I haven't checked the official time on that right now, but I assume that that's going to be close to three and a half hours, at least three, which as of right now is the longest episode of this podcast we've had, but it was great, man. There was a lot of cool conversation in this. And this is exactly what I love about doing this podcast with artists is we just talk freely about whatever comes up. We don't necessarily specifically talk about the bands and, you know, ask the same interview questions that we always get. We get to really hear the opinions and see the other human side of a lot of our favorite artists. And this is super, super cool, man. So one more time, thank you very much to Vicky for being on here. This was super awesome. And I've already got a lot more artists lined up for episodes in the future, man. Our next episode that you can keep on the lookout for is going to feature Grant Truesdell, one of the guitarists for the Canadian power metal band Unleash the Archers. We've had Grant on the channel before for an interview, and we know him from his Twitch streams and stuff, but this is going to be the longest we've ever just sat down and talked before, so I'm super, super excited about that one too. Thank you once again to our sponsor, Gothic Jewelry. You can check them out at www.gothic.com. That's G-T-H-I-C.com. And if there's anything you like, once again, you can use the code TANK20, that's T-A-N-K-2-0, at checkout for 20% off of your entire order. Thank you for everybody that took the time to listen. You can also follow me on tons of different social media. My handle on everything is at Tank the Tech. I also have a Discord and I stream regularly on Twitch. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can check the description of the video and all of the links for all of that stuff will be on there. To all of you that are listening on audio on Spotify, Google, Apple, and all the other podcasts out there, thank you very much. My name's Tank. This has been another episode of the Back Lounge Podcast, and I will hopefully see you all very, very soon.